Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome, everybody. This is episode 174 of the Galen Trombley Show. Um, I was just telling Mike here before we got on that I've known Mike since he was a little kid, and we're from the same town, and I think I might have coached. Yeah, I was going to say, I did coach you, right, when you you were younger, and... When I found out what you were doing now, I didn't actually know it was you. Like I kind of like saw your name, and I just thought, well, you know, Michael Parent. It's not the it's not the most obscure name out there, so there might be another Michael Parent. And I hadn't seen you in a while, and then all of a sudden you were in this um, kind of going into the retail fashion game, and I just it just I kind of caught, caught my attention. Obviously, I follow you on social, and um, a lot of people have gone, um, and I've seen I've seen your shop um, on uh, Brinkerhoff. So. Um, figured I'd have you come in, kind of explain it, and obviously catch back up because it's been it's been years yeah, I think since I talked to you. But um, so my my guest today, Michael Parent, uh, partner at Jam Vintage LLC in Plattsburgh, um, and Mike, welcome. And for people that don't know you, kind of who are you? Yeah, um, so I'm Michael Parent. I am originally from Shazy, New York. Um, so you know, I grew up in Shazy. I went to school at Plattsburgh State. Uh, graduated in 2019, December 2019. So right before the pandemic. Um, yeah, so coming into it, I was working at a nonprofit before and then moved to Burlington. And while I was there, decided to uh, open the shop back here in Plattsburgh. So I guess my, my first question is, why, why vintage clothing? Why, like, how'd you get into that? Yeah, so I had originally been like selling vintage clothing and just kind of clothing in general online. Um, you know, throughout college is kind of a, like, something on the side. I had a lot of kind of stuff just sitting in my closet. Um, and then, you know, I, you know, was working at a nonprofit for a few years, you know, based out of Plattsburgh and then moved, we went fully remote with the pandemic. Um, and then, you know, kind of picked up, you know, selling clothes on the side and then kind of, you know, snowballed into, um, you know, getting an actual retail and physical location here in Plattsburgh. Um, actually the, uh, landlord is, she was, a an aide at Shazy. Um, it's uh, Mrs. Valentine. Okay. And her husband. Okay. So. On Brinkerhoff, um, the location. So uh, that was uh, the one on Cornelia Street. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. yep. Across so, from Montcom. Uh, yes. Yep. yep. So right from the uh, across from the end of Montcom, I uh, had opened there originally in October of 2020, um, and then was there. And then landlord came and said, if I knew anybody looking for a spot downtown on Brinkerhoff, that um, Boots Insurance was moving. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I said that I was interested, and then like two weeks later, I was like completely moved into the new spot. <laughs> so that was pretty quick. Yeah, it happened really so, fast. So how'd you get into clothing, though? Like what sparked the interest in it? So and, and roughly what time, what year? Yeah, so it probably was 2015 or 2016. I started getting into like vintage specifically. Okay. Um, I think the first like vintage shirt that like you know meant anything to me was a uh, was an old Grateful Dead t-shirt okay uh, my uncle from buffalo had got my brother and i a couple of them brought them here when they were visiting um sat in my closet for a while i you know it was a cool t-shirt but it was tie-dye i didn't really wear it very often 
um, started wearing it more, um, you know, doing the research behind it, you know, what show was it from, you know, where did it come from? Um, yeah. And then it kind of snowballed into, you know, what I have going on now. So when, were you, you, I guess college at the time, 2015, uh, still going, in high school. You were still in high When did you yeah, graduate? 2016. Okay. So, um, uh, you had a Grateful Dead t-shirt. I have a couple, uh, you know, I might've <laughs> been to a show or two, but the, uh, so Grateful Dead, you get this t-shirt. Now, this was just purely you wearing it, so you'd throw it on for college and then started gra- grabbing other, can I call them thrift kind of sto- kind of garb? Yeah, I mean, most of it, the stuff that we get does come from like uh, like thrift stores specifically. Um, most of the time, we don't really find much there because we're looking for a really you know specific type of thing for the shop. Um, you know, it has to be, you know, 20 plus years old. And then, you know, typically something that you know we think that people would want um whether that's the brand or the event the shirt's from so okay so you get into it and when did you so you get into it just wearing vintage clothes yeah so when did you start kind of like flipping vintage clothes um it's probably my second year of college so i originally went to st lawrence and then i transferred back to plattsburgh state after a year um started out pre-med uh decided i didn't want to do that went business and information systems here at plattsburgh um, yeah, so really when I started moving back here and I like had an apartment here in Plattsburgh, um, I had more space to do it and I had free time. Um, you know, with my schedule, I was taking a lot of classes online. Um, so it worked out that I was, you know, doing work at home and then I was kind of like sitting there and I had, you know, extra time, I had a lot of clothes that I wasn't wearing. Um, so that's where like the first, you know, how I first got into like flipping clothing um, but it wasn't always vintage. Um, for a while, I was actually flipping like a lot of like CrossFit clothing. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, a lot of like shoes and different things. Um, and then, you know, the more vintage I got, the, you know, the more I realized that people were actually looking for that now. And it wasn't just, you know, something that I was interested in. There was a whole like community around it. So when you, when you were first selling, this was just stuff out of your closet. So this wasn't, you were, this wasn't all vintage clothes that you were selling. No, it was uh, just kind of at, stuff out of my closet. I did have some vintage things that I had like found, um, but originally it just started on like Poshmark. Okay. So, um, and that's the site that you flipped it on? Yeah. So Poshmark is like a, like a third party, like reselling platform. So it's like a clothing eBay? Basically. Or pro- probably a little more, a little more uh, eBay, but a little more specific. Yeah. It's kind of just geared towards clothing but they uh they handle kind of all of it so they handle like the shipping they you know they collect all of their fees all of the taxes so you know it saved me from doing that i basically had to take pictures and then if something did sell package it up and send it out and you would send it directly to the consumer or through the like to the company so directly to the consumer okay um they would like send me a shipping label print that out slap it on a package and then it was done so at what, and, and I guess like you said, you didn't find like the niche of the vintage clothes until you started realizing like this is actually kind of a market and I do enjoy the vintage style. Mm-hmm. And then how long was, how long did, from the time you started to the time that that was kind of like realized that like this is what I want to do? Yeah. So it was probably four years kind of like building okay. up to actually like getting a retail space and even that wasn't, you know, it was something that I had wanted to do and I had been looking for a spot. Um, you know, when I really started looking, I was living in Burlington at the time. Um, there was already a couple of people over there in Burlington doing, you know, something similar. So opening something there wasn't necessarily exactly what I was looking to do. Um, you know, I found that every time I've left Plattsburgh, I've always ended up <laughs> right back here. Coming back, yeah. Um, and, you know, with, you know, certain, you know, businesses and stuff closing here in Plattsburgh, you know, specifically like clothing stores. Um, 
or, you know, constantly saying that they're going to be closing. Um, it was kind of a, you know, something we didn't have here in Plattsburgh. And, you know, it was something I wish that was here when I was going to school. So what's like the, uh, cause I want to dive all into this. There's mm-hmm. a lot of questions I have within just the actual business, but, um, the up, like just startup costs, like how, how was it to start it up going? Cause obviously you're going from your room, you're paying zero over minimal overhead. We'll say not zero, but minimum, yeah. um, to now I got a retail space and now I have to open and close at a certain hour. Now you have hours, you know what I mean? It's not like I can just roll out of bed and, or work till two in the morning. I got to, I'm sure you had, I don't know what, what your hours of operation were, but that became a schedule then. Yeah. So, um, you know, before I had had the store, I was working Monday through Friday, eight to five, um, you know, remotely. So in front of my computer all day. Um, and then when I actually, you know, went and got the retail space, my hours went from, you know, Monday through Friday to Thursday through Sunday. Um, wait, so say this again, Monday through Friday, that was doing this business in your dorm room or this was actually your work prior. So work prior. So after I graduated, I was, um, I was working for a nonprofit called senior planet. Okay. Um, under the uh, like umbrella company, older adults, technology services. Okay. Um, so I was like teaching tech classes. Okay. Um, so I was doing that. And then, you know, when I finally transitioned into having the online store, um, I was still working there Monday through Friday. Um, but because it was remote, I could do my stuff there in the morning. And then I would go, you know, Thursday, I wouldn't work Fridays. I actually had my brother cover for me. Okay. Um, but in terms of like startup cost, I wanted to keep it, you know, as to basically to be as little as possible. Yeah. Um, Keep it lean. I, uh, I didn't know if it was going to work for more than, you know, a couple months, a year. Um, and getting into it, people, everyone wanted me to sign a commercial lease. Um, so they wanted, you know, five-year lease. You know, these are your terms. After every year, you know, there's the possibility it goes up, goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, I was able to get in a spot where I actually didn't have to sign a commercial lease. I signed, you know, one year. And then I actually didn't stay for a full year at my first location. Um, but I, the place I went to was the same landlord, so basically the lease transferred for me. Do you, um, now, space-wise, when you transferred, was it because of more space? Was it because of better location? Uh, it's actually less space than I had at the original spot. Uh, better but location, much, though? I'm much better location. Okay. Um, so before, I was on Cornelia Street, um, directly across from the end of Montcalm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, great, look, great spot. You know, it was good for me to kind of get in there to, like, open up. Um, but it wasn't the setup I was looking for. It was kind of part of a part of like a, an apartment building. Um, so I had apartments all around me and I was kind of set back off the road. I didn't have great parking. Um, and then when the spot downtown opened up, um, I was, you know, kind of a standalone, you know, I don't have anyone, anyone above me, just two businesses to the sides. Um, and there's more parking and I'm, I'm downtown now, which was a, a big draw for me is I was even once I had the first location I was constantly looking to get something closer to downtown Mm -hmm. Um, especially with all of the other businesses that had been opening up it's where I wanted to be I wanted to be around you know everyone else or the foot traffic too yeah the foot traffic yeah and then also with downtown now they're doing like the first Fridays uh, which have been you know a huge success for us you know staying open an hour later you know collaborating with other local businesses um, and then also on some Saturdays, they do the, uh, the market where they close off the end of Brinker off. Yep. Um, and it worked out for us that actually the part of the street that they close off is exactly where we are. So yeah, basically yeah, I always forget the, 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 uh, Marion, is it Marion street? The one right in the corner? Yes. Okay. So from that basically down. Yep. Yeah. So the, now getting into it, um, how, 
how confident were you to do it? And I get well, actually, first off, before we get to that, what was what forced you into getting an actual space, like a brick and mortar space, versus being online? Let's start um, there. Yeah. So selling online it, during the pandemic, it it seemed like a lot of people were kind of getting into it. Um, so it was hard to you know differentiate myself from you know anyone else that was selling clothing online. Uh, so having the you know brick and mortar retail location was important for reaching, you know, the customers that I wanted to, which were, you know, my target market here in Plattsburgh was, were students, Mm -hmm. um, kind of breaking it down, you know, between like 16 and, you know, 30 was kind of where I was, where I was aiming. Um, you know, I had all of the exposure there online, but, you know, to kind of build something that was actually like a brand and not just, you know, my name attached to it online. Now, are you still doing stuff online? Do you still have like an e-commerce site? Yeah. So transitioned from selling, you know, when I opened, I was still selling on like eBay and Poshmark and Depop. Um, actually, right now we're working on having like an actual site for the store, okay. um, jamvintageusa.com. So now going into it, now you have, like I said, overhead. It was the business, I'm assuming because you're still in business, the business was lucrative to cover the overhead at the time? It, it was, yeah. Okay. So uh, like, did you go in extremely nervous about, hey, I may not be able to make my rent or cover my overhead or have any money to do anything besides just keep the shop open? Yeah, that was a, a, a big concern kind of going into it. Um, you know, at the very least, I was hoping that I could cover my overhead. Um, which was, you know, paying, you know, rent every month and then covering my utilities. Um, actually kind of like save money when I first opened. I didn't have internet. Um, so everything that I was doing there, if I needed to use a computer, I had to like get a hotspot on my phone, set that up and then kind of, you know, slowly do that. Um, but yeah, so I mean, a, a big part of it was just like, you know, is this even possible? Um, you know, I thought that at the very least I would be able to cover stuff, you know, with selling online. Um, so, okay. So you open it up and you start and you have everything there. I mean, there's like, what, what other costs are associated with a business like yours, at least the brick and mortar? Cause obviously you have the rent, you have utilities, but like what other expenses that pop out stuff, maybe you expected stuff you didn't expect. Yeah. Um, lots of stuff. And there's still stuff that I'm like figuring out now that it's like, okay, I should have this, you know, in the store, um, fixtures. I didn't have anything going into it to hang clothes on. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was selling out of my room, everything was just, you know, folded piles on the floor, you know, you know, two feet high all over. I was, you know, it worked. Um, And then, you know, once I was moving into like a, you know, brick and mortar, I needed some way to display them that was, you know, that would look nice. And then even from there, it was, you know, what kind of hangers do I actually want to use? You know, I was looking at plastic hangers at first and I thought, you know, I want this to look, you know, a certain way. So I ended up buying wooden hangers, okay. um, which is a big up, you know, up front. It was a lot more, but I think, you know, long term, they're going to last a lot longer than anything else that I would have used. And they fit what, the kind of the vibe you're looking for. Yeah, they also fit the vibe. And um, another way to, that I kind of saved a little bit of money with at least like the opening cost of like, you know, getting fixtures in there is I, I built them all myself. Um, you built all the hangers? Oh, not the hangers, the uh, like the, the racks that I was using. Okay. So, um, built all of those in my dad's garage, um, transported them all the, ba- all the way back into Plattsburgh and then kind of went from there. So blood, sweat and tears and all the, all the, like now there's, I'm assuming, you know, you have like seats or couches. I think you did, right. You have those. Or I, you did I do, now. You do um, now okay. before, um, I had like built the counter. Um, you know, I had had a stool that I was just kind of sitting around that I brought in. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, everything was really kind of, you know, build it myself and then hope, you know, keep my costs down at least to like start. Mm -hmm. And so you, when you initially opened, so we'll go with the one on Cornelia, Mm -hmm. how quickly, like, were you promoting it prior to opening? I was. Um, so people knew this was coming. This wasn't like just all of a sudden, like, what's that place? Yeah. So I, I really kind of kept it on the down low until probably two weeks or a week before I opened. Um, you know, I was running ads on Instagram and Facebook. And then also like, because I was going to, or I just graduated from Plattsburgh state, I still had friends that were going to school there, you know, so being able to tell them and then, you know, kind of word of mouth was another huge, um, you know, way to get people in the door. Um, and then I did have like a big, like grand opening. I didn't actually do like a soft opening at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was when there was like limits to everyone like being able to be inside. Um, so, you know, for the first, you know, week or weekend that I was open, it was a Saturday, Sunday, I had like a line kind of waiting outside, which I think was probably a good thing in Mm -hmm. terms of people driving by and seeing it. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it was kind of a process just to, you know, get people to know what I was doing, um, where I was. So, and, and again, like, what do you think the, the overall, um, I mean, were people, was it like people excited for this? Was it like you said, do you find that there was a market for this or like right off the bat? Yeah, I, uh, I definitely think there was a market right off the bat. I think, you know, I think especially throughout the pandemic, people became a little bit more conscious of what they were buying, where they were buying it from, um, you know, how it was made. Um, I think people kind of becoming aware of, you know, the process that, you know, shirts go through just to be created and all of the resources that they use. That shopping secondhand, you know, one is good for the environment. Um, I was coming in as a local business and I was really trying to emphasize that like, you know, I'm from the area and like I'm doing this because it's something that I, you know, I enjoy doing. I love to do it. And I, you know, connecting with the local community. Um, Now, when you open, uh, did you spend a lot of time like coming up with like a business plan or coming up with some kind of strategy or coming up or was it more of just kind of like run and gun and wing it? Um... So, I mean, I had a lot of the, the, the systems kind of already in place from, you know, doing everything online before. So I had an inventory system already, um, you know, I was doing all of my own bookkeeping. Um, so then kind of when I moved into the brick and mortar, it was just scaling that up, mm-hmm. um, you know, so making sure that I had enough stuff for the opening weekend. Um, actually, that actually was like a, a big problem for me at the beginning was making sure that I had enough stuff actually like in the store, um, you know, pretty consistently I was like okay I don't really have much to put out this week so like what can I do to you know kind of figure that out so how does the whole process work so I know this stuff is all secondhand right Mm -hmm. it's not like you're fine this is brand new like vintage they they put vintage but it's been like recreated recently so like what like typically most stores have wholesalers and things like that Mm -hmm. so I'm assuming that a lot of this stuff correct me if I'm wrong but you're physically going out finding it turning around flipping it and trying to make a margin on it. Yeah, that's uh, essentially what I what I'm doing, but uh, there's a couple other different routes that I do get that I do go through to kind of source um the products that are in the store. Um so kind of the the way I started was going to thrift stores looking around um to see if there was anything in there that, you know, I thought that I you know, that I thought that I would be able to take and then put in the store. Um but even before, it, you know, I find it before it goes to the store, I have to, you know, clean it, you know, if there's any know really big holes I'll, I'll fix those I'll stitch those up um, if it's white t-shirts I don't think I've ever found a white t-shirt that didn't have a ton of stains on it so getting those out 
um, and then getting it to the store, getting it photographed, getting it tagged, getting it, you know, added to inventory. Um, and then, you know, then it goes out. So would you, most of the clothes you find that they're through other thrift stores or do you like, is it stuff that your buddies will toss you some shirts, you give them kind of like almost like a consignment kind of fee or is it, um, maybe possibly even finding these in just random other stores, maybe not thrift stores, but find them like, I guess like what what's kind of like source without like I guess giving away your secrets, but like kind of like what sources would you look at? Um, or do you go online? Do you just try to find some like stuff on those sites and be like, well, I'm buying it for ten, but I know I could flip that for twenty. Yeah, um, it's kind of a combo of all of those things. Um, you know, so looking in thrift stores to kind of see what they have, um, and then I do work with a like a it's called a rag house. So basically, you know, when you you know clothes gets donated, it gets put into these bales. Um, they usually come in like. 2,000 pound bales, um, and then those go to a rag house, which it's then sorted. Um, so they pull out, you know, things that are going to get, you know, recycled, broken down into, you know, other things. Um, but what these places started doing is when they realized that there was this, you know, people want vintage clothing, they started, you know, going through them a little bit more carefully, um, pulling out things that they thought that they would be able to then, you know, wholesale out. Um, so I work directly with a, a supplier out of Texas. Okay. Um, who owns his own rag house. Um, so he was a really good connection when I had, you know, kind of first started. I was looking for someone who I would be able to get, you know, vintage clothing through when I was kind of running low. Um, you know, I was expect I was expecting to pay more of a premium for that, though, uh, which I do. But, you know, it's been a good relationship there where I'm able to say, like, hey, this these are the kinds of things that I'm looking for. Like, what can you what can you do for me? And, and that's just one avenue. Like there, so the other ones I mentioned, like stuff online or just randomly stumbling into a store or a buddy giving you some shirts, like that's still stuff that you would look at. Yeah, so also like I'm looking online. So I'm going on eBay and Depop and Poshmark, these other, you know, other e-commerce sites that have, you know, people selling things to kind of see if there's something on there. Um, I also advertise pretty heavily that, you know, we do buy stuff. Um, so we, you know, occasionally we'll put an ad out or we'll put an ad on Craigslist or Facebook saying that like, hey, like, you know, if you have, you know, clothing, um, you know, before you like, just throw it away, like, let us, you know, let me come take a look and, you know, I'll pay you for the things that I want out of it. So, um, so it's kind of like consignment, like dress code down the road does mm -hmm. the same thing. So if you take, um, so, so like what kind of clothing are you looking for? Cause I know like you said, one of them, they have to be 20 years old. Like that's, that's pretty much like before 2000, that's your limit. Yeah. Um, so one other thing, we actually don't do any consignment in the store. Okay. Uh, we only will, you know, we'll directly buy it from whoever's bringing it gotcha. into us. Okay, if it's yep. something, yep. um, makes just makes it a little bit easier on our end in terms of like keeping track of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so with like getting everything kind of in there and um, you know what kind of classifies something as vintage um, I guess kind of the the rule of thumb is like 20 years old um, some people say 18 it doesn't really matter one way or another um, but when you're actually like looking at the shirt is where you can typically tell um, it's kind of the first thing that I'll look for is like if there's a tag in it um, so it has to be like a, a physical tag um, not one of like the screen printed tags that are on the inside um, that's kind of like a dead giveaway that it's, you know, not more than 10 years old. Um, you know, with the tag, most shirts now don't have like an actual physical tag. It's just screen printed with the size, you know, the brand, things like that. Um, you know, past the tag, it's like looking at the, um, the stitching on the shirts. Um, you know, shirts that were made pre, you know, 2000, 2001, 
Um, a lot of them are single stitched, uh, meaning like the the bottom hem and then the hem on the on the sleeves um, just has like one single stitch going around, where most of the new stuff is double stitched. So and that has like a little bit more of a rise to it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and then I think like the, like this is single stitch. This would be a double stitch. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then you know past that some you know certain shirts will actually have like the year that the that it was printed. Um, so like a lot of like um, like sports shirts. So if you're looking and you find something that's um, like a Yankees T-shirt, it'll actually have like you know New York Yankees 1999 kind of printed on it. So that's an automatic you know okay you know it's good year good yeah. year yeah. <laughs> um, and then I'm trying to think any also like looking at the fade on a t-shirt like a lot of black t-shirts like the older they get if they've been worn and washed a little more grayer yeah rather than being like a black t-shirt it'll be like a like kind of a white t-shirt or not a white a, like a gray t-shirt yeah no makes sense yeah um so now in, in regards to years have you sold anything that you think would be so 20 years ago is 2001 have you sold anything be like newer than that like you found something that might fit that was from 2005 or 2010 or 2000 you know seven or something yeah um so i don't like you know cat myself like if you know if it's not you know 2001 or you know before then you know i wouldn't sell it um if it's something that i think that you know i would be able to you know someone would like if they came into the store and saw it i'll i'll grab that um and then you know certain kind of just with fashion and style in general i think it's pretty cyclical in terms of you know these things come back you know 20 to 30 years later. So even the things from the early 2000s, um, one thing that we're kind of seeing right now is uh, like Janko jeans. Yep. Um, yeah. So those are kind of coming back into JNCO. JNCO. Yep. yep. Um, so those were not necessarily 90s, but kind of early 2000s. Those, those were back when I was a kid. Those were the uh, the baggy jeans. Mm-hmm. Everybody had like back then it was like, then they went to like boot cut and now they're, I think more real, like straight legged yeah. skinny jeans became, that was after my time. Like that, I yep. never had skinny jeans, but <laughs> yeah, I remember the baggy jeans. Yeah. Um, and then kind of one thing that we haven't really talked about with the story yet is it's not just vintage. We also have like, um, like streetwear. Um, so, you know, companies that are, you know, producing clothes right now, um, kind of the example that, you know, most people would know of is, uh, is Supreme, mm-hmm. um, which started out as a, just like a skate shop in New York city. Um, now they have, I think they have a bunch of different stores all over the world now. Um, but they started in the 1994. So technically they do have vintage things, um, but people are more into their stuff now. So every Thursday they will drop like a whole line for the week. Um, occasionally we'll grab stuff from there. So, um, I, so I kind of look now, the other thing I was going to la- kind of laugh about when you start talking about the years, do you ever get vintage local vintage stuff? Yeah. Um, that's probably my personal favorite thing to find. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't come across a ton of it. Like occasionally we'll find something from Plattsburgh state in the eighties or nineties. Um, a lot of like Adirondack stuff. Um, like, uh, I think one of, I think my personal favorite, like local vintage find was, um, these two t-shirts from the it's like a adirondack bluegrass festival is from the 70s okay um found a couple of the like promo tees from that because i'm always thinking like i i know for a fact because there's stuff just sitting in my house my, my parents house since mm-hmm. my house my parents house 
of stuff that I've had back in the day that I, if I ever get a chance to go through it, I'll like keep you in mind and be like, yo, I'm going to toss these, <laughs> but if you want any of it. Um, but I think a lot of it, when you start looking back, because I've seen some stuff, like you have the, uh, the the starter jackets and the champion, like those brands. And, and uh, you know, I think uh, like the, the old NBA windbreaker jackets mm-hmm. that you see people wear. So I kind of like you go through it and it's nostalgic. And I think when you say 20 years, you're getting obviously the vintage is coming back now. But that I would say would translate to a lot of stuff. You're starting to see stuff come back with like Pokemon cards. You're starting yeah. to see stuff with playing cards. You're starting to see some stuff like games. You're starting um, vintage video games are a thing. And, yeah. and what's funny is like, okay, an N64, which I grew up playing and love it. Now that's considered vintage. For me, that's nostalgia. So I'm like, pull it out. Like I'm playing GoldenEye. Let's yeah. go. And I think... Do you do video games? I know there's places in town that do it, but is that yeah. something you're into? So we don't really do like video games or anything like that because there are other people already doing that in town. Um, kind of touched on a little bit. Like I think vintage almost could be considered like a misnomer for you know the genre that I'm in as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look at pictures of me when I was younger, and I'm wearing some of the things that I'm now selling. Um, you know, when I think about it, it's like, you know, I don't feel like that was that long ago. I know, I know. It's Well, and that's the thing that I always, I, I look at when you post some stuff, I'm like, I remember those, like the WWE shirts you had, yep. well, WWF back then, but you look at that and it's like, I, I grew up watching that stuff when I was a kid, like in the late nineties and, um, you start seeing the shirts like Stone Cold Steve Austin or, or, you know, whether it's Kane or Undertaker or, you know, and it, it I think it's pretty cool, you know, when you see them and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've seen. You obviously post a lot of stuff with bands. You know, I've seen you post stuff with sports. I've seen you post um, some of it's just with uh, like vintage companies. Mm-hmm. You see like a, like a shirt, shirt with a sign or whatever. And you're starting to see the idea of like kind of that more vintage fading retro look. And even just stores, you mm-hmm. go to like a you know a box store or something. They'll have a bunch folded up, and it's like an old Coca-Cola or an old Sitgo signed shirt. And it's um, and I don't. Where do you think the fascination comes with with vintage clothes? Because one thing you said was. That ninth, let's call it um, 15, 16 year old to 30 year old, and I would probably say even up to 35 year old. Yeah. Uh, but say so you got a 20 year gap there, you're talking about 20 years ago. Someone like me, I'm 30, or I'm well, older, older, older than that, but I'm in my 30s. But early 30s, 20 years ago, I was 10. Mm-hmm. So I have memories of the stuff actually like being there, but then I look at someone that might be 20 or 25 walking in. They were, you know, one to five years old. They have no memory of this stuff at that no. age. So, you know, what do you think is the that entices someone that's 20 or, 20 or 25 to walk through the shop and pick stuff up? Yeah, so I, I think that there's uh, kind of two reasons for that. One, um, you know, people who are in their 30s looking at it, it's, you know, they have the memory of, you know, those things when they were, you know, when they were kids. Um, someone who's, you know, 15 or 16 looking at it, I think the draw is a little bit different. Um, I think there's a possibility that, you know, that's what their parents wore. Mm -hmm. So there's that. So kind of looking at it that way. But then also um, kind of the like, I think social media plays a huge part in, you know, kind of played a huge part in the rise of vintage becoming popular again. You're seeing, um, you know, like rappers and comedians and, you know, athletes and those types of people wearing, you know, vintage clothing. And then that kind of pulls, you know, so many more people in kind of especially like the the younger group of people who you know don't necessarily remember weren't even alive when you know these products were made but they're seeing you know their idols or celebrities wearing it which kind of pulls them into kind of you know even just learning a little bit more about it um well i think like the one thing i look at is it, for twofold like you said i think it's definitely trendy right now mm-hmm. and it's funny because it's trendy but it's old but it, you know and things do go in cycles but you look at 
I I wouldn't go into your shop and buy something because it's trendy. Mm-hmm. I would buy it nostalgically because yep. that's just my that's the way my brain works. But I know for a fact I'm like seeing people walk around. And I'm like, you weren't alive when that came out, and so you know that there's an idea that it's, that it's a trend, um, and it's kind of the. Growing up, like I said, baggy jeans were in for a time, and then you know, and then you kind of looked at, you know, when I was in high school, you looked a lot of like American Eagle boot cut kind of, and then went to like skinny jeans and torn jeans and ripped jeans, and like I was out of that. I don't wear, mm-hmm. I've never wore any of those. But you start going through, you can kind of find, I would say, every five to ten years, things evolve a little bit, and that's typically you know decades. Yep. Um, but when I look at the vintage clothes, the two things that I see now a lot that seem to be making a comeback and you're going to probably say exactly females with the i call them the mom jeans but i call them like those faded out high-waisted jeans are now popular which those were i would say probably 80s into early 90s which kind of fits in that that's about Mm -hmm. 30 years but i don't remember that being too much maybe mid mid 90s but you're starting to see like college girls or you know even girls in their 20s that now becomes a style i'd say with the kids probably between 15 and 30 mm-hmm. um that's new the other one that i'm starting to see that's a trend kind of like back in the day a lot of girls had like ugg boots and a lot of girls like um like i find i see a lot of girls wearing carhartt hats is that a is that a trend now not not vintage but just off the shelf carhartt like where it's almost like they match it because it goes well, I think, with vintage clothing because it's just a generic. And I kind of laugh at it because I'm like, Carhartt's always in my mind like a working kind of company, like mm-hmm. a, a somewhat like some guy or gal that's like manual labor in the winter pops that on as they're building a house for warmth, not for style. And now I start to see people match it up with like denim, and I see people match it up with stuff. So, do you find that that's just a trend, or do you find that you know naturally these little things become popular, and now everybody wants you know? Uh, a generic, what I'd call a generic Carhartt hat in different colors mm-hmm. mixed with like something you might be wearing with that, where it's kind of a blend of the two. Yeah, I think that that's a, yeah, you kind of hit the nail right on the head with both of those. Um, I think denim, specifically like Levi's, um, there's like a whole group of people that like specifically collect Levi's jeans. Um, you know, they're not looking to collect like jeans from the 90s, but they're looking for you know, jeans from, you know, the original Levi's, so the 1800s Levi's, um, you know, those sell for, you know, crazy prices, you know, 50, 60, $70,000. And those are still around, like 100-year-old Levi's? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Not very many of them. Most of them are, like, in museums. Um, actually, a lot of the time, Levi's will buy them back for, like, their own archive. Yeah, like museum. Uh, yeah. Um but yeah, so like there's people collecting those, but then um, I think the the baggier, loose fitting, you know, jeans that are kind of torn up and they look distressed, mm-hmm. um, you know, not really very, not alike to the ripped skinny jeans, but I think just kind of being baggier is just what's in right now, kind of what's what the kind of the trend is. Well, I see that. I see um, denim jackets. I <laughs> see flannels. Um, I see people layering flannels with something else where, but it looks kind of like what you might see like a nineties grunge band wearing, you know, like I, I, I could, I can picture like a Kurt Cobain wearing half the stuff and now it becomes popular with male and females just walking around college campuses. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that comes from being like, uh, like workwear being popular right now. Um, workwear being 
popular. No, uh, uh, what, what, what so do you like think is workwear, classified as workwear? Workwear meaning uh, like Carhartt stuff. When you were talking okay, about gotcha. the Carhartt yep. beanies. Um, I mean, you're wearing one right now. You're wearing yeah, a vest. I have a Carhartt vest, and yeah. I, I didn't come from working you know, on a yeah. house before I yeah. got here. I mean, it uh, looks like you probably painted in the sweatshirt, but it added to it, right? Yeah. Um, actually, the sweatshirt, I... I bought it like this um there's like a whole other section it's like a, a vintage like thrashed vintage which like you know you're buying you know vintage clothing that looks like it's you distressed know, distressed and worn and okay um but yeah so i think the the workwear trend is kind of the reason behind you know the distressed carhartt jackets or carhartt beanies um and carhartt in general like uh what's popular now are like the the double knee carhartt work pants have like the knee patch on them. Yeah, they have yep. the, the big knee patch. Um, yeah, like, so think, things like people like, just wear those out like a, as yeah. like a style. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always fascinating because like you and it's I know fashion's like a weird thing in the sense that it's like it's people gravitate towards stuff and it changes and obviously celebrities are part of that and they lead that charge and you know I've I've never been a fashion forward person. I'm typically like I I wear what I I wear and mm-hmm. I just. You know, I don't have a lot of uh, a variety, I guess, in my, my attire. But then I look at people that I would say are more on the, the trendy side and you see what they're wearing. And it's just, it's, it's one, it's cool. I kind of I like the vibe because it does bring me back a little bit to mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Um, but you see a lot of like um, layers now and you see a lot of accessories and you see, and I know these there's been stuff throughout, but, you know, I find that male and females are wearing more, whether vintage hats or trucker hats or like you said, kind of the hat you're wearing, which is just kind of a different style. And I, yep. I have, is that a vintage hat? I'm assuming it's not, uh, it isn't. Okay. No, it's uh, just like a newer band. Um, okay. I saw them a few years ago, Flatbush zombies. So, but it fits like, um, it, like if you would have told me it kind of has like writing that I would, I would have pictured in the 90s, it almost looked like nineties cartoon. Yeah. Writing. So it's uh, it's actually styled after the old, um, like script, like sports hats. Okay. Um, so if you see like an old like Bruins hat or an old Red Sox hat, that's like, you know, I think most of them were, um, they're most of them are like made out of wool and it's like a, like a script. It's kind of what they were going for with that. And um, on the side, there's like a, like looks like the NBA patch, but yep. it's not, it's their logo. Um, so what, what do you find is like the top, like what's your niche right now in regards to what styles are, what styles are popular, like where you are right now? Um, so right here, um, you know, I think vintage has different markets depending like where you are in you know in the country and really even the world um you know i find that i'm you know pretty consistently sending stuff to um like malaysia and you know the southeast asian countries um right now like you know here in the north country um sweatshirts oversized hoodies um things that look distressed uh people seem to really be into that um jackets so carhartt jackets puffer jackets uh, like the 90s starter ones mm-hmm. um and then a lot of flannels now what about um like i've seen you post like i said bands sports wrestlers mm-hmm. um is that something that is popular or is that more of like you like it and it's kind of like do you pick stuff that you like do you pick stuff that you know that will sell do you try not to have the bias of stuff you like knowing that Mike, I can't buy, you know, like I can't pick out just what I want mm-hmm. because I got I to gotta look at other people. But is that hard for you to kind of like balance the two? Um, I think at first it was it was more difficult. Um, but now I kind of have to look at it like kind of from a you know third person a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, looking at it. If it's something that I think, you know, someone else would like, you know, it may not be my personal style. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, someone, you know, will come in and like that. Um, 
but I think like, you know, being here in the North, like, you know, the Northeast, it's cold for so long that people want that outerwear because, you know, it's what people are going to see them wearing more than, you know, a t-shirt. Uh, for me personally, I love vintage, like graphic vintage tees, um, you know, specifically band tees. Um, you know, I personally have like a Grateful Dead collection. Um, and then I have just like random band tees that I, you know, grew up listening to. Like my dad is a huge Rush fan. Um, so I have a couple different Rush t-shirts. Um, and then another trend I think in vintage is uh, like NASCAR stuff. Yeah. Um, a ton of, you know, 90s NASCAR. Er Earnhardt and Gordon. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I don't think it's necessarily because, you know, all of these people, you know, grew up watching NASCAR. Um, I think it's more the, the style of the t-shirts. Um, a lot, it seems to be a lot of the NASCAR t-shirts from the 90s are these huge, um, you know, really thick prints, um, you know, with a big NASCAR on it with someone's name. It's usually the NASCAR, it's usually the car name and then them with their arms folded up. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, someone, you know, wearing, you know, that wants to get into vintage. I, can, I think it's kind of a good, like, entrance into the that realm. Um, you know, you kind of get a style. And, you know, if someone sees a NASCAR t-shirt, it's almost, you know, guaranteed to be vintage because you know it's when it was kind of the heyday of nascar yeah so like pre-2001 um you know when dale earnhardt passed away that's when everybody you know was watching nascar um you know if you look like it's slowly kind of died out over the you know the last 20 years um so being able to grab a t-shirt from that era kind of one i think brings people back to you know like here like i remember my parents owned a restaurant in Shay-Z and there was, you know, people, you know, would come in and talk about the race before it happened. And then they would go home and watch my family included. Um, you know, so for me, I have that part of, you know, wearing a NASCAR t-shirt for other people. I think it could be, you know, the print itself, you know, big oversized, you know, kind of, you know, gaudy, like out there. Do you find that people are buying oversized shirts? Like me, I take a large, like mm-hmm. I, I'm a large shirt. Do you think that someone like me would walk in and buy like an XL, just have it a little more baggy? Is that like a style that people would just yeah, I over, think, oversize themselves? Yeah, I think, you know, wearing things that are oversized is kind of in right now. Um, and I think part of it is because with vintage, a lot of the stuff that we find is, you know, XL. Well, and, and the sizes are probably a little bit different too. When you see like a large vintage versus a large now, it's cut different. It's different. Like, you know, like I, I always picture like a vintage shirt having more of that just cottony feel, like a thicker cotton. Where if I look at like this shirt or this shirt I'm wearing underneath is more of like that tri-blend, like softer. I think it's more comfortable. It's a little lighter mm-hmm. where you get the, the, you know, the cotton ones that are a little stiffer. You put them on and they don't, they don't move as well and, you know, might shrink. But like you said, when they have that thick, uh, that thick print on there and you can really like feel it. It's almost mm-hmm. gritty. Um, that's always what kind of draws me out. Now, typically I'm the person that if I get shirts today's day and age, I still think majority of people like the softer feel mm-hmm. where I, if I got like a, say someone gave me a free t-shirt, but it was that thick kind of like, you know, hot and I get rid of them. Cause I'm just like, yep. I'm never going to wear it. But if it's a vintage, then it's like my mind is triggered that this is from the nineties, that this is how it should be. Like if I found a shirt like this in the nineties, I'd be like, that's not real. Like, yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, I mean, almost all of the t-shirts that we deal with are really almost everything that we deal with in the nineties specifically is like 100% cotton. Um, you know, because it's, you know, 20 to 30 years old, uh, it's been washed, you know, 
who knows how many times, hundreds, thousands of times. Um, so like the stiffness you're talking about usually is washed out by then. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it's not going to shrink on you. Um, so typically like if we have an XL, you know, because it's been washed so many times, it might fit like a little smaller than, you know, an XL in in the nineties, but bigger than an XL might be today. Do you have a change in room? Uh, we, we do. Yeah. I was just wondering because someone's like putting pants on or something. It's hard to throw those on without. Yeah. Um, now, the name Jam Vintage LLC, what was it before? It was Plattsburgh Vintage? So before it was Plattsburgh Vintage. Okay. And then why the change in name? And then obviously use kind of like a Space Jam logo. Yeah. Um, so originally Plattsburgh Vintage, um, you know, I wanted something that people would, you know, know right away kind of what we were doing. Um, also, you know, I love Plattsburgh and I wanted it to be part of the, the name. Uh, kind of the, the recent name change, uh, was prompted because I brought a co-owner into the store. Um, his name is Jake. Um, so then Jake and Michael for jam and then kind of playing off of, you know, how big, you know, space jam was in the nineties and then even how, you know, how popular Jordan sneakers are right now. Um, that's kind of where jam vintage came from. So, and it has like the space jam, like this, I would say like the, uh, the Saturn rings with the mm-hmm. J in it, yep. right? That's what, yep. Yeah. So um, did you see the new Space Jam movie? I did not see it yet. Oh, I haven't either, but the the original Space Jam is such a classic movie that I think that came out in 96 or 97. Um, did you watch The Last Dance, that documentary? I did. So they like talked about yeah. it. Like, like Mike, like obviously he was in the movie, and some of the guys were in the movie, but he was just having like summer pickup basketball, and he brought all these NBA players in, and that's what they did all summer. Which, I mean, like... A couple of those guys again were in the movie. I think Charles Barkley was in it. You know, uh, uh, Sean Mar- or Sean Bradley was in it. Um, so you kind of look at those old, you know, those old players. And it was was Reggie in that movie? Um, I don't think was Reggie a, was. I don't. I don't think so. I'm trying to think of all the players because I, I know, like, I'm not counting Larry Bird because he was just as like an older guy. But yeah. you start going through, like, I remember seeing Sean Bradley play in 2004 for the Mavericks. Okay, he's seven foot six, mm-hmm. and he was doing like low post turnaround moves which is basically low post like a a three inch vertical and just kind of like dumping the ball in okay he's seven six so with his arm up he's basically already at the rim so it's like it's almost like you or i playing basketball at the top of the door it's like not even like real (laughs) basketball but um he's just so tall but uh yeah so i think that maybe that was kind of a resurgence too possibly because you start like that was such a popular show or documentary that when you look at the whole series that was all in the 90s so like everybody you're seeing the clothing you're Mm -hmm. seeing the people like um, what about like '90s like hip hop '90s? Um, does that something that pops up? Yeah, um, I think here on the East Coast, it's a little bit. Um, you know, it's not quite as popular as it would be as if you know if we were you know in California. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you know culturally, music may have played a little bit of a you know more of a part in like the clothing that was there. Um, uh, for example, like Wu Tang, they have their own clothing line that was. I think they stopped late 90s very early 2000s called woo wear okay um so we have a couple of those t-shirts um and then like any like rap t-shirts um you know typically are pretty popular um you know i think kind of like the like the holy grail of like vintage t-shirt collecting you know for a lot of people is um it's like tupac's machiavelli you know t-shirt okay um they they made a lot of like a wrap tees but typically those are like bootlegged um so there's no like official um trademarking on them 
Uh, most of them were printed either, you know, outside of a show or, you know, you bought it from somebody, you know, on your way there. Uh, so, you know, finding those, that's kind of, you know, what people are looking for now. Um, and then, um, you know, kind of here, you know, on the East Coast, uh, like uh, like Summer Jam, uh, which is like Hot 97, the radio station. Okay. Um, <laughs> they have like their Summer Jam t-shirts, uh, which of those seem to be, you know, getting more popular. They, I think I, we have one in the shop now from 2008, I, 2007 to, or 2008. And it's got like, um, it's got Kanye on it, uh, Beyonce, uh, Jay-Z. Lil Wayne, um, you know, so all of their faces are, you know, huge prints on the t-shirt. Um, I was actually having this discussion with my wife the other day. We were, we were driving somewhere. We started talking. I was like, Lil Wayne was like the shit when I was in high school. Like, he was my favorite rapper. Um, I still like all his music, like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just funny when you go, like, talk about generational. Like, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm aware of, like, uh, you know, Pac and all those guys. But at the end of the day, like... I've, I've listened to him more as I got older, but like Lil Wayne, I listened to while Lil Wayne was putting music out. Yeah. Eminem, while he was putting music, like he was putting the music out and, and Jay-Z too. And I wasn't, you know, obviously you hear Kanye, I wasn't as big of a Kanye guy, but like the other, the other ones, like as it was coming out, I always think like nineties, you got Pac, Biggie, like Snoop, Dre, um, you know, Diddy, like all those guys yeah. were kind of the ones really putting the, the sound out. So you kind of, you know, you take about the, you know, the vintage and I'm starting to see more of a resurgence of that now, which yeah. is which is cool. Like I said, it's kind of coming back into the fray. And I, I don't know if that's because, you know, those people that were, you know, they're now in their forties that were teenagers at the time are now kind of replaying it and their kids are getting in, mm-hmm. into it. And same thing. I, I mean, you're the, you're probably the same, Like you drive when you're a kid, you go in the car and mom and dad are listening to something. They're not listening to pop music. They're listening no. to what they like. Yep. And I was always like, why am I listening to, and thank God they did. Cause I have a very big appreciation for the sixties and seventies, but I was like, why are we listening to this? Like, and, when I was younger, I liked it. And as I got older, you want to listen to your music. And then eventually, I'm now in that late 90s into 2000, early 2000s, like jam bands. And yep. that's like my jam. And mm-hmm. that's the only thing I really listen to on yep. repeat. So the other day, I was bringing my kid to school. I'm like, we'll listen to your music. I'm like, all right. Like, great. And it's not anything. <laughs> These songs have been out for 30, 20, 30 years. But it's uh, it's just funny how like you fall into that cycle of... Or if you ever decide, you know, decide to have kids and then you look at it, like they're going to be listening to the music you grew up with in high school and like, dad, what's this? And it's like, or even more, I'm playing Rush. This is what grandpa <laughs> liked, you know? And- yeah. It's a, uh, I think I, a lot of my, you know, what I listen to now kind of was influenced by what my parents listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my dad listening to like, you know, 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s rock, especially like 80s hair bands. Um, and then my mom listening to a lot of like country and then, um, you know, Alanis Morissette and, you know, things like that. So like, you know, I have, you know, t-shirts from then and I uh, I actually had an Alanis Morissette t-shirt for a while and I was, I was wearing it and my mom saw it and she told me that she had the same one. Uh, (laughs) It was from like 1993 or four. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, you know, so, so there's that. And then, uh, recently I had found like a, a Mary J Blige tea. Mm-hmm. Um, my girlfriend's mom is a huge Mary J fan, so isn't you know. cheap at uh, the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I was gonna say because they have yeah. the suit. It's like su- Snoop, it's Dre, su- and Eminem. Eminem. Yeah, yeah. So like, I'm actually looking forward to it for once. Yeah, it's been a while since I've wanted to watch the halftime show. I know. I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, but you were talking earlier about like Lil Wayne, um, Kanye, uh, Eminem. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like vi- like with like T-shirts and stuff, those are the T-shirts that are kind of coming back now. 
even though they're uh, not 20 years old, but they're yeah. So like early Kanye stuff, uh, like college dropout, mm-hmm. um, you know, those items that like three, four, five, somewhere in that range. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, you know, finding those things, that's what people are kind of looking for now or like, like the, um, like original Eminem, you know, promo tees, mm-hmm. um, like the Carter for Lil Wayne, yep. like any of those, um, yeah, and that's the, that's the thing when you start going back. Like, it doesn't seem that long ago because you remember those albums coming out. Yeah. Like, oh my god, like that's that's <laughs> twenty years old now. And um, but I'm always fascinated with music because I think music is something that I mean, you think about it. You listen to music from the fifties, the sixties. I was watching a Beatles documentary the other day, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know all the songs, but it's crazy when you actually watch them try to piece them together and kind of like what it was when they're trying to figure it all out. And I think that. You start to see new music now. You see obviously a lot of influence, and like you know, if somebody's twenty years old rapping right now, their influence is going to be the people we just talked about. Yep. That's what they grew up listening to, and they're all anybody that comes up with stuff is obviously influenced by somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when it comes to like, if you had to pick, like, what's on your bucket list of vintage clothes to pick up? You talk about the Tupac. Is that on that? Like, if you had to pick like the top five or ten. Like, this would make my list. Like, I'm in search of this, like, yeah. golden nugget out there. So, for me personally, n- no. Um, but then that's, you know, I don't have that connection to, like, listening to, you know, Tupac growing up or my parents listening to Tupac. Um, you know, for me, it's, like, you know, old Rush t-shirts. Um, my dad was telling me a story about how he went to the show that they played um, in Lake Placid. Okay. It was, like, it was in the 70s. I think it was, like, 77. So, like, something from that would be on that list. Um, a dinosaur junior t-shirt and uh, what's so it's just like another band tee okay um i'm trying to think what else have, have you ever opened it up to people and said listen i'm looking for this kind of stuff yeah um like directly ask people or like hey i know you're having like you're moving do you have old stuff that i can just like look through and like yeah here's like clothes from like 30 years ago and you could do do yeah so i mean we always try to like you know tell people that we that we buy stuff um you know, we actually, I met this, uh, a woman through these two, you know, brothers that I was buying vintage clothing from, um, their names were Matthew and Michael. They, you no know, relation. no relation, okay. <laughs> uh, they're, they were from Vermont and, uh, they told me about this woman in like Northern Vermont that, um, you know, was a clothing designer and now she's a real estate agent and she, you know, collects antiques and they were like, Hey, like you should reach out to her and kind of just like see what she has, see if she'd let you look through. Um, I ended up getting a hold of her and she let me like go to her house to like pick. And it was actually this huge mansion that's just full of everything that you could ever want. <laughs> but, but you uh, grad- gravitated just towards the clothing? Towards the clothing, yeah. Okay. Um, so for there I found, I think the, you know, I found a Titanic movie promo t-shirt. Oh yeah? So things like that. Um, but in terms of like if there's something that I was looking for... Um, I probably wouldn't put like, you know, on like our social media that, Hey, I'm looking for, you know, this t-shirt, but, um, I think vintage as a whole is like a pretty tight community. So I could let a couple people know that, you know, Hey, if you come across this t-shirt, like, let me know, you know, what they're asking or kind of, you know, just let me know if you can find one. I think one of the cool things I'm starting to see now, and I think maybe it was from the pandemic, maybe Mm -hmm. it's because the, you know, obviously I see the rise of the internet, but the idea of like e-commerce and the ability, um, you know, to sell stuff online and, and social media too to promote it mm-hmm. is you're seeing a lot of like little niche things happen. Obviously, I would say you're in the niche market. I would say there's a couple other places that have lo- opened locally in um, Plattsburgh and the surrounding areas that are more niche than what we typically would see, but they're all little small businesses. Mm-hmm. And I, there's something cool about walking down the street 
and seeing and whether like a beautiful mess I know is down there and that yep. you know they they are you know kind of like home decor and and you know that kind of stuff but then there's a place right next door is it hidden gem yeah there's a there's actually two gem stores there's like on either side of hobies now yeah and so you have that and some of those you could say are like antiques mm-hmm. and but i think there's a lot to be said about like those little things popping up that are kind of unique because someone looking for vintage clothes like yeah i can go online but just walking through you've already kind of filtered through everything mm-hmm. so it's like hey i you know, Mike's got a hundred different pieces of clothing just lying in the store that like, it's kind of like a treasure hunt. You mm-hmm. kind of look through and it's like, oh, wow, I'd even know about this, but here's a, you know, like I said, a 1982 Milwaukee's Brewers uh, t-shirt, yep. you know, and, or, uh, you know, a Kirby Puckett, Minnesota jersey, you know, and that's kind of the stuff where you look at and you're like, oh, that's that's kind of cool and it jumps out. Now, in regards to regional, is there anything you focus on? I'm going more probably sports here. Um, anything regionally that you focus on sports like the Habs or the Yankees or you know uh, Bruins? Yeah, so we try to get you know it's really hard to come across like NHL or hockey stuff. Um, anytime we do, it usually sells like quickly. Uh, most of the new stuff we get, we put like on our story on Instagram and Facebook, and then we sell directly through that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're always looking for bill stuff. Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills. They've had a resurgence now. Yeah, so I think for and a while. Late eighties and nineties. Yeah, so uh, I have family that lives in Buffalo, and you know they they've been there, and you know there's like the they would tell me the joke that like you know how do you spell Bills, and then it was like B I L L L L from when they lost you know four Super four Bowls in yeah. you know six years or whatever it was. No, uh, four and four. four. Was it four and four? Oh yeah, oh. they lost four years in a row. Yeah, Giants um, were one of the recipients of that victory, so I'll no. take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I think with the Bills kind of getting you know good again, people aren't you know as you know they they want that now rather than you know not. Um, we have a ton of Giants stuff, but okay. with the I think with the way the Giants season has been going. Well, I was uh, just at the Giants game. First time I've been to a Giants game in twelve years, mm-hmm. and. Um, there's a lot of just old jackets walking around with, with like, from what I remember in the 90s and in the, in the 80s where you just had, like, the Giants helmet, the mm-hmm. side profile of the Giants helmet with yep. the Giants written across. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, whenever it was, I think it was early 2000s, they went back to, or not back, but they went to, like, the NY logo yep. they use now, the lowercase NY. Uh, but there's something, so that was the the game I just went to was the uh, the Michael Strahan induction. Okay. Or I say induction, uh, jersey retirement. Mm-hmm. And they they wore... And the only reason I'm saying this, maybe they wore it all season. This first football game I've watched all year. But they wore the old white jerseys, like the back in the day, like the Phil Sim, like mm-hmm. you'd see from like the 90s. Um, white with the blue and red uh, like trim with, you know, I think of those helmets. And that was what they wore for the game. Like, this is kind of cool because it feels like the 90s yep. Giants. Um, but, you know, I saw some people coming up. One guy had a dope. It was like a, it was a kind of like a windbreaker. It was probably like a starter jacket. And it had the patch on the side. On the back had this... I think the Giants written out, mm-hmm. and it was white with kind of like the red and blue was the, kind of the the main colors, and that was pretty cool because it was kind of like an off. It was it was like white, but it was kind of like almost like an alternate kind of shirt. It was pretty neat. Yeah, no, I, I personally I like all of the old like sports gear. Um, it's kind of interesting, like looking at it from my end is like uh, looking from like the difference between like the merch in the '80s to the merch in the '90s that they were you know selling. In the 80s, it was a lot of like, uh, you know, here's the logo, here's our name, that's it. Um, and then, you know, for the jackets, a lot of like satin bomber jackets. Okay. Um, and then in the 90s, when Starter kind of, you know, became popular, so they put all of the, you know, the really bright colored puffer jackets. 
Now, are you talking about the like the when you talk about the Saturn bomber jackets, the ones that have like the buttons down the front? Yeah, the that, buttons down the front, yeah. like the the lower collar, um, and then yep. usually it just had like a single logo like on the chest. Um, do you sell any Montreal Expos gear? Uh, when we when we get it, but finding Expos gear is uh, is, tough. is tough. Yeah, that's my like when I pick. When you ask, like, what's my favorite sports team of all time, it's Montreal Expos. I went to so many games. I have a Vlad Guerrero bat up there signed. And yeah. it's a, but it's always one, like, they left in 2004, which mm-hmm. is almost 20 years ago, yeah. which breaks my heart that it was that long ago. But um, I remember the final season. I had had to all the way through. Mm-hmm. And you knew they, were, they already announced they were moving. So I remember buying um, an Expos... The, the MOB, the blue hat, and I bought their home jersey. Like, legit. Yep. Like the stitching, like the really, really nice one. It's still, I still have it just sitting. Um, but that's also something I will never, like, part with. Yep. But that would be something that would fit in your realm, even though it was 2004. Exactly. That thing would sell in minutes. Yep. And it's it's literally never been worn. I just bought it for the fact that it was the last year. I'm like, I'm going to buy this jersey the final season. Because I went to the final game. Mm-hmm. Like So, that was always... Uh, that always sticks out to me, but then if you go into the late, you know, late 80s, go into like uh, the 80s and the 90s where you had like the tricolored hats mm-hmm. and you had like, when, like Tim Raines and, and Moises Alou and Larry Walker and, um, you know, all those guys were wearing the hats and Pedro. Those are the ones that would stick out as like, those are kind of cool. Tim Raines, you know, get like a Tim Raines jersey. Like, yeah, so actually one of my like earliest memories is going to an Expos game. I have no idea right. what year it was. I must have been like three or four though. What, what year were you born? 98. Oh yeah, man. They, so they left when you were six. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Recently, we actually uh, we had a guy bring in um, an Expos hat from when they had the um, All Star game there. I, okay. Yep. I think it was in the eighties though. I want to say it was they, like eighty one. Yeah. So it was okay. uh, it was just like a black baseball. I could be trucker, wrong on that. Trucker cap with a like Expos All Star game. On That's it. pretty cool. So, um, yeah, I mean, kind of back to what we were talking about before, like local vintage. You know, finding things like that and um, i know you posted something with the plattsburgh state was it a hockey jersey or a t-shirt it had like the old burgie with the skates you know the almost like the cartoony yeah. burgie not, yeah. not the mean burgie they have now but yeah we uh yeah that was where i had more blue on it yep uh that was from uh someone who actually went to plattsburgh state they um graduated in like 2016 from there they their parents had it from when they went to plattsburgh That's so cool um we also found like a like a plattsburgh snapback from the 80s um that'd be neat but yeah we don't find a ton of plattsburgh state stuff um when we do it's you know it's exciting because it's like a you know i went there so it's kind of that connection well i'm sure that's like you said i've seen you post it on your stories i'm sure that stuff gets like if i saw a plattsburgh state vintage something like that that'd probably be something i would get to mm-hmm. i mean i went to plattsburgh my wife went to plattsburgh yep. but um the thing is now I feel closer to plattsburgh than i did when i went to school because i was like in and out when i was coaching you i was in Pla- i was at plattsburgh yeah. and it was like I had no time to like hang out at school. It was mm-hmm. like get in, get to class, go to work, go coach. Like yep. so, it's very regimented. But um, now having known more people, you know, we have some interns from Plattsburgh State, and you know, being involved, it's it's one where you start to get involved or root a little bit more for the college than I did even ten years ago. Um, so I think getting the getting the clothing would be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It'd be like repping or showing up. Be like, where'd you get that? Be like, from the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can relate to that too. I was uh, like, I had a job like during college, so I would you know go to class, go to work, you know, get my stuff done. And but I I didn't live on campus at all either yep. in Neither. that time. Um, but now that I'm you know removed from that, you know, we have you know students coming in, you know, asking if they could do like a documentary about the store or interview yeah. us for like a class project. So, um, you know, it's nice to kind of you know leave and then you know have some kind of connection so, back to it well so 
getting into that, when you talk about so a couple questions I had, obviously went yeah. through most of the uh, actually. I had a couple of things I, I wanted to go over. So memorabilia and footwear, I, you have vintage clothing, but when you talk about memorabilia, what kind of memorabilia are you looking at that would be vintage? So we have a lot of like movie posters um, okay. or like posters of, you know, athletes and things like that. Cards at all? Um, so actually all of our tags are on cards, um, but that's just, you know, kind of following the theme of, you know, being sustainable. Um, I also collected hockey cards growing up mm -hmm. um so i have you know thousands and thousands of them just kind of sitting um cards from the 90s weren't worth a ton to begin with um so it was actually more like more cost effective to use those and then plus if you buy something you actually get like a you get a card um so it seems people like you know getting something extra well i was when i was growing up my, my dad was getting me um he, he he did i think like right when i was born for a few years was the um the actual cards of the year and I don't remember. I think I had some tops. I think I had some Fleer. Mm -hmm. um, but you'd get like the whole thing. Now, like you get the box. Well, problem is once you open them, they're, they're not worth much. <laughs> and me, I would open them and I would collect all the Expos cards. Mm -hmm. And then I would get all the Yankees and all the Red Sox. And then all the other ones I could care less. Yep. And I wasn't like I liked the Yankees and Red Sox. They were just local. And I know everybody else liked those yeah. teams. But I would rotate, and I would then I would pat, then I would grab like some from the '91 and '92 season and put them all together. Next thing you know, I just had this like. I remember opening a binder and I have a binder where you put the cards in mm -hmm. and they were just a bunch of Expos players and a bunch and some played many years. You know, you might have a Tim Raines, but then you might have the obscure third baseman that played for a season and they got, you know, sent back off to like the Giants or something. Yep. So, you know, I had all those and so they're basically useless at that point. But um, so memorabilia, so posters pictures action figures anything like that not a ton of action figures and stuff okay. um if we find them we'll we'll get them and you know bring them into the store but we mainly just use them as like a decoration um i think we have a we have a bunch of like old wrestling you know action mm -hmm. like figurines and then a couple um like batman and things like that i was gonna say i think action figures for superheroes and then at least me as a kid it was I had a lot of superhero ones, and I had a lot of uh, wrestlers. I was really yeah. big in the WWE, so I had like you name a person, I probably had a version of their their character. Yep. And you know, like I said, those are just things. I think if I went and tried to flip them now, I probably could get money. I was going through stuff. My mom, I don't think, is throwing a thing out from when <laughs> I was a kid. So I'll get some of the stuff, and I was looking at it, and some of the stuff because I know you can flip stuff on eBay, and I was looking at how much this stuff would sell. Now, granted. Some of the pieces are like it might have a you know a missing arm. I had a bunch of these Beast Wars. I don't know if you remember those. Mm -mm. They were like in the '90s, and they're like almost like Transformer, but they're animals. So okay, they're like you know a bison would turn into like this person, and a couple of them were like twenty bucks. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, I was like, well, I don't want to put this online, <laughs> and these were sold at twenty, and yeah. they weren't asking. These were actually sold. I didn't want to like look at that and be like, I think it's legit, but it's probably missing is like spear or something. Mm -hmm. So then it's probably worth fifteen. I don't mm -hmm. know, but. Um, you start looking at some of those, and especially with the wrestlers. I'm curious if I could like dive into those or Pokemon cards, and I bet you I have thousands of dollars just sitting in like old stuff that I could flip. And I think at some point I'll probably do a deep dive and just if my kids don't want it, just flip it. But mm -hmm. we'll see. Because I, I think it's going to lose some of its. The, the thing with a lot of the vintage stuff, like pick Pokemon cards, I think they're going to be big right now. They're going to go for a few years, die off, and they'll come back 20 years later. Yeah, like I think they'll they'll hold their value kind of through that. But if you, you know, it might not be as popular at the time. Like I think, you know, Pokemon got popular again. Um, I think it's been kind of growing with like uh, Pokemon Go. But then when the pandemic hit, people were, 
you know, buying those old packs to open them to try to find that Charizard card. To be um, honest, they were probably home, sitting there, flipping through old stuff they had, or went to mom and dad's house. And, I mean, Pokemon, I was third grade when Pokemon started, so it was probably right when you were born. And I remember trading, and I, I've talked about the story before, it was like my, my intro to like hustle and entrepreneurship <laughs> and stuff, but I ended up getting a, a card uh, from a kindergartner. I remember the person. I remember her giving me the card, and I don't remember what the card was. I kind of have an idea, but I remember the card was. And I ended up trading it up to get a bunch of cards, and I ended up trading it, and I got a Charizard. And I remember I flipped the Charizard, and someone else, who I still know who this person is today, <laughs> gave me their entire collection of Pokemon cards for Charizard. And I was like, one card for like 300? Deal. <laughs> and then I tried to end up trading back to another one. So, yep. But it was it was so funny. Is like back then, that was like that was a, that was was a currency. It was <laughs> like, if you're a kid on the part, like... I say like on the playground, they eventually banned them. But like kids on the playground or like in class, we were trading cards under the desk in class. Yeah, like I, you would sit there and you'd pull out and you show your neighbor and it'd be like that and you'd just start swapping. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I definitely had you know thousands of Pokemon cards and then um, I had a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh cards too. Never gotten the Yu-Gi-Oh because um, that was like that was like the Facebook to the MySpace. So it was like just after yep. Pokemon. Yeah, I think Yu-Gi-Oh started like started in 1996 and then didn't get popular until like the early 2000s it was like slightly the, after pokemon with the yeah. tv show when that came out um but yeah we've uh I've sold a bunch of Yu-Gi-Oh cards that i had um that's i think there was a kind of a resurgence there because people are still playing and they're using those cards from the old sets mm-hmm. so well the games are i mean I, I think they're like first editions or whatever mm-hmm. but the game the game itself was actually pretty fun you use like the little mar- or say marbles they're almost like uh gems or beads or yep. whatever um, I remember, I mean, obviously we had the Game Boys. You would hook up the Game yeah, Boys. So I, say, I don't think I ever played Pokemon like with the cards, but I remember, you know, playing it on like the Game Boy or on a DS. And, yep. you know, we were connecting our Game Boys on the bus or at lunch trying to like, you I know. Got, I got to actually ask him because he's coming back on the podcast. Um, you know, Jonah Curtin, do you remember him mm-hmm. at all? Yeah. Yeah. So Jonah's coming back and he's great. He's been on a couple of times. He used and to we... ref my, uh, my hockey games. Oh, really? <laughs> so, so Jonah and I, we, grew, we went to high school together, but uh, I'll have to bring this up when he comes on because... We used to, in the morning, I'm going to ask and see if he remembers this. In the morning, we would sit in the front seat of the bus. We were on the same bus. And by the time, he wasn't too, he was probably on the bus about, I would say 10 to 15 minutes longer than me. I would get on, we'd have about a, you know, less than a 10 minute drive to school. And then you'd sit on the bus because we were an early bus. Mm -hmm. We'd sit on the bus for like 15 minutes. So we probably had a solid 25 minutes. We would, I would have a Game Boy Color. I had kind of like a bluish one and I think he had some other one. And we end up running a cable. This was before Bluetooth. He had to run a cable between yep. the two, and we would battle each other. Mm-hmm. And we did this every morning. <laughs> and I, I don't remember the game back then. I don't think you could trade, but you had to like find the Pokemon. So like you could only play with the Pokemon you found in the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember having the blue game cartridge. And I think he had the red one. So okay. some of the, some of the, uh, what you could get were different. Like mm-hmm. I, I needed both of them to get them. Whatever. Yep. Long story short, we ended up just playing that, and it was a blast. Mm-hmm. But um yeah so that was on the game boy but i do remember playing the cards and now the cards had um each of them had powers and there was you know there was a color scheme and there was an was hp as a horsepower but i don't know what actually stand for (laughs) but they had that and then they had um because there was water there was grass i say grass but there was like the the venusaur whatever Mm -hmm. and then you had the water um you had the wind and then you had the fire and so they're all kind of all like earth wind and fire the good old band (laughs) but they kind of like blended those um, or like, was it Captain Planet? Like they kind of gave like the, the, it was kind of like, it almost was like a spinoff like mm-hmm. back then when you had all the colors, but those were fun. And I think 
Um, you know, I would like to just play the game again. I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can go buy Pokemon cards and still play the game. Yeah, you can. Uh, but they're probably like a little more updated. Yeah, there's like all new like sets and different things now. I believe. Um, and there's probably a thousand Pokemon back then. It was like a hundred. Yeah, I think there's got to be over a thousand now. Um, I know like now though, it's hard to like, you can't really go into the store and buy them necessarily. Um, they almost always sell out, you know, pretty quickly. Wow. Um, people like will wait for the, you know, whoever's bringing the car, like, you know, the just card distributor, they're like waiting for them to come cause they know what time they, you know, they put all the new stock out. It's like um, the people that wait for like Dunkin' Donuts. I'm, yeah. I'm just saying like, they, <laughs> like I remember, uh, you knew when they were getting rid of the donuts at night, mm-hmm. who would go and get like free donuts. But, yep. um, so now going into a couple things, um, actually footwear. Oh yeah. Do you do a lot of footwear? Yeah. So, uh, when I first opened, we, I didn't sell any shoes. Um, but then kind of as things progressed, people were coming in and asking, you know, if we had shoes. Um, and then, you know, now we do, you know, we typically have anywhere between probably 20 and 30 pairs at a time. Um, the shoes aren't vintage, um, but a lot of them are, are like a retro models. So they're okay. modeled after sh- shoes that did release, you know, in the nineties. Um, you know, specifically we have a lot of like Jordan shoes, um, usually like one through 11 are like the main. The ones. original was the white, black and, uh, red, white and black one. Yeah. The, like the, the, those came out in 1985. The, 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 the ones that, uh, Miles Morales wears in the Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. I, is, am I right on that? Yeah. My so, son loved the movie, but he always had the Jordans on. Yeah. So the, actually, there was a pair that was made for that movie. Um, they're called the you know Jordan One Origin Stories. Okay. Um, they're the red black, but they have a like kind of a different texture on them. Um, well, I think wasn't it that? And again, in the documentary, didn't Jordan wear the shoes in the game, and then like his feet bled, and he's just like, but I had to wear them. Yeah. Um, like, superstition. They, because they, were... they had like so, like Nike had that the big like contract with him, like he like had to wear them basically. Um, yeah, so there was like the, the Jordan ones and actually the pairs from 1985, there's still, you know, some floating around out there, but most of them are, you know, 2000 plus just to get a pair of like the original ones. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm surprised there's that many like unopened or not worn. I mean, some of these are, I'm assuming are worn at some point. Most of them are worn pretty heavily. Um, recently I was on eBay and I was looking and there was a pair, you know, brand new in the box, you know, with the original receipt from 1985. Um, and they so wanted twenty five thousand dollars. Did it sell at that? Uh, I don't think it had sold yet, but there are there are some that have sold, you know, for around that. Um, that's crazy. Um, so social media. Um, obviously, you do, social media is kind of. I I love social media. I think it's just a way to reach people mm-hmm. and connect to people and and communicate. But um, you, coming from like an IT background, and again, I know IT is not necessarily social media, but you know your way around technology a bit. So how is um how is running that and how is running has how is running social media for a business um is that new is that come easy to you does it become like does it feel like a chore um yeah so i think you know social media as a whole is super important for us to be able to you know exist mm-hmm. um you know the store specifically um and then you talked before about how like in plattsburgh there's all of these like little like niche businesses opening up and i think it wouldn't really be as easy to do that or as possible, you know, without the advent of social media and being able to reach, you know, not only your local market, but being able to reach, you know, thousands, millions of people, you know, outside of, you know, your immediate area. Um, social media for the store kind of is one of the more important things that we, you know, consistently are trying to, you know, improve or improve. Um, 
at first I think it felt more like a chore. I've, it's gotten to the point where I, I enjoy it more now. Okay. Um, before this, I, not that I was anti social media, but I have like my own personal social media accounts that I don't really post on very often. Um, I'll go on to like look, but I don't really, you know, I'm not very active. Uh, but with the business one, I, I try to be as active as possible. Um, so putting a couple things up a day, um, and then, you know, making sure that the posts that I'm putting up are things that people are going to, you know, want to see. Uh, one thing that we've, uh, we have had some like good feedback, you know, from is, uh, we do like, like a story sale. Uh, so we'll put everything, you know, that we are putting out for that day up on our story, you know, what it is, the size, the price, and then people can actually like message us and say, you know, Hey, I'm going to come pick that up. We take it off. So it's like, they don't even have to come into the store to shop with us. Um, now if someone came in and saw that and was like, Hey, I saw on, they'd have to mention that you saw it on the story to buy it. They could. I mean, it'll also like be out until someone like claims it off of the story, but we do have people that'll say like, Hey, like, you know, will you take, cause we, uh, we accept like Venmo and PayPal, like through the mm-hmm. business. Um, so they can send the money there if they want us to hold it, or they can say, Hey, like I'll be down in 10 minutes, you know, I'll to grab that. Do you ever find that you're like in bidding wars? Um, no. So we, we don't really ever auction things. Um, we have a couple times where we've kind of made it like a, like an event where we've been like, Hey, like, you know, for 24 hours, you know, bid in the comments, you know, every time increasing it by $5. Um, but I think we would rather just put stuff up on the story. Um, and then, you know, our prices aren't firm all the time. Uh, so like if people, you know, want to make us an offer, well, you know, they can do it right through there rather than having to come in. How, how do you, um, how do you price stuff out? Uh, so typically we go to look, um, you know, see what other people are listing, you know, that same item at, uh, but then we really, the best way that we do it is we go in and we look at like what those items have sold for already. Um, and kind of base it off of that. So, and, and again, it's, it's a business. So if you like, look and say, okay, this sold for $15, I want to try to get 18 for it. You know, you can get a, a slight markup on it. Yeah. I mean, I, I would think as like a business owner, especially if you're someone that says, listen, these aren't like set in stone because mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, a small business trying to sell. It's kind of like an antique or like a pawn shop, yeah. but it's the idea that, you know, you always want to, there's always a, there's numbers involved, there's mm-hmm. budgeting involved. So like for you, it's like, okay, I got to, you know, each day you open, I'm assuming you know roughly what you want to make for a profit or maybe yeah. for the week or something. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, kind of base it off of that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like just reverse engineering whatever your goal is for, yep. for, the, for the time being. Um, now, do you find, I guess, because one of the things I was going to ask you about financing, but do you find that, are you comfortable at where you're at? Is this something that you hope to maybe grow from a standpoint of obviously sales, but, you know, reach or... Is it something where you're like, nah, I really only want the one store in Plattsburgh, but I might, once I open the e-commerce, that opens you up to the world, you know, and then maybe start promoting more on that realm where you can really dive in and go into little niche groups and mm-hmm. find things. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the, the whole, the kind of a game plan going into it was like, you know, build the audience here in Plattsburgh, um, you know, show them what I have and then, you know, slowly ease into, you know, building, you know, my own site or, you know, our own site for the store. And then filling that with the products that we have in the store, um, like with my background in tech, um, you know, I specifically e-commerce, um, you know, I'm going in and I'm editing the, you know, going through and fixing the SEO and trying to get us to rank better, mm-hmm. um, adding better keywords, um, you know, seeing where, you know, the keywords that I'm using are ranking in, you know, Google searches, um, you know, so getting that technical side of things, um, you know, is, you know, 
it's important for me to be able to, you know, kind of do that because then I'm able to reach more people than just, you know, people here in Plattsburgh or, you know, students coming here for school. Do you do a lot of advertising on campus or is it more just word of mouth and just mostly, hopefully people catch it? Mostly word of mouth. Um, you know, occasionally we'll run, you know, some kind of advertisement um, through Facebook and Instagram. Uh, like recently we ran one um, kind of advertising our, our sale that we were running last week and this week too. Um, and then when I first moved, moved downtown, I ran an ad just kind of letting people know. So, um, now it says lead designer recycle one of one custom clothing. So do you work with, is it finding custom clothing or do you create custum clothing? So creating stuff. Um, okay. cause you said you sew, right? Yeah. Okay. So like when you talk about like custom clothing, like how does that work? Um, so, you know, kind of upcycling, it could be a pair of jeans, um, in, you know, mixing the materials or putting, you know, different things on them, um, or, you know, making a jacket or, you know, doing some kind of, you know, custom thing to that piece, um, and then selling it, you know, in the store. So if you had like a, say like a, one of those bomber jackets you mm-hmm. talked about, could you stitch on some emblem or stitch on some kind of writing on the back that yeah. might make it, like I said, not necessarily it's kind of a generic brand, mm-hmm. but put something on there like Plattsburgh and script writing or something. Yeah, it could do something like that. Okay. Um, it hasn't I haven't been doing as much of that lately um you know things with like switching over and you know having a co-owner now and being open more um you know getting the site going so the stuff that I was making kind of got put on the back burner what's a little more labor intensive too it is yeah um now what was the idea of bringing on a co-owner um, and when we talk about like you're not working today, is it you and just the co-owner that work? Yeah, so it's just the two of us. Okay. Um, his name's Jake Martineau. Okay. Um, it's from Burlington originally. Uh, so bringing a co-owner in, I had originally been open like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday um, from 11.30 to 7. And then so I'd op- I was off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, but typically like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was out sourcing and looking for things for the store or... I was there, you know, getting, you know, pictures taken and doing things like that. So it felt like I was kind of all of my time and effort and energy was going into doing that. So bringing a co-owner in, um, you know, one took a little bit of that pressure off my back. And I also had someone to bounce ideas off of. And also, you know, he gives ideas for the store, too. Um, We were also able to be open, you know, six days a week now rather than four days a week. So kind of cut down on, you know, the amount of time that I was actually there. So now the time that I'm not there, you know, I'm working on things for the store, but, you know, I'm not consumed by making sure that I'm checking people out and making sure it's, you know, cleaned up in there and things are on the, on the racks. Well, that was one of the things I was kind of talking with you at the beginning. It's, um, you know, one of the things I had mentioned down was going from an employee to an, like an entrepreneur or owner, um, you get the idea of like, Hey, I'm going to sell clothing and I'm kind of working on my, my, uh, you know, house here or apartment. And then you go to a place that's a public place and then you realize like, okay, I need stuff for the showing. I got to make it kind of feel a little homey here. Mm-hmm. Like I got to make it, got to make sure things are clean. I got to make sure things are organized. I have packages coming in and then, then it's like, okay, now I got to check people out. Now I got to balance the books. Now I have an LLC. Now I have a partner. Now I have like, you start going through everything gets thrown at you as a small business owner, like legality stuff. Is there any legal issues? Is there any, you know, and then you start talking about margins and pricing and, and, you know, cause you're flipping stuff and social media and customer complaints. And like <laughs> the, like the list goes on and on of all the stuff that people are like, oh shit, like you have all of that to deal with. I thought you were just like behind the counter 
like flipping shirts. I'm like, well, I got to go find the shirts. Yeah. And that's not, that's not store hours. That's yeah. off, off time. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot more goes into it than, you know, what people see. Um, I've always been drawn to having, you know, the retail space or, you know, being, you know, in direct, kind of being able to connect directly with like the public. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, growing up with my parents having a restaurant, I loved the time that I got to spend there. Yeah. Felt like I was there all I remember, the time. I remember you as a little kid like, yeah. at the bar and it's stuff kind of like running that. around in yeah. there. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think it was always kind of something that I wanted to do. It just, what was actually going to happen or how I was going to do it. Um, and then it ended up, you know, being able to do this. Do you think that you, your space will evolve or grow or, or have some add-ons where it's not just go in, look for vintage clothes and leave? Do you think, cause I think now, um, people are starting to try to mix business with, I would say hangout, but rec or just even just a lounge kind of area. Yeah. So we, uh, we actually have a, like a couch and a couple chairs in there now. Um, we have a, a PS2 set up in there with a couple games. Um, we usually have like an Xbox there. So, um, Saturdays we have college football playing all day. Sundays we have, you know, NFL on all day. Um, we'll have hockey on when, you know, there's a game going. So, you know, we want to create a space where people can come in and they don't feel like rushed out. We don't, you know, we don't want people to come in, you know, look around really fast and then, you know, buy something and leave. Like we want to be able to have them come in, you know, talk with us, let them, you know, what are you guys looking for? You know, hang out, watch TV. Um, so kind of creating that environment and that atmosphere is something that the move allowed us to do. Well, I think like even... We had stuff, like you said, video games, TV, ping pong table, foosball, like mm-hmm. stuff where people can come in, you know, and, or whether or not you decide to ever sell just like drinks, I'm not saying like a liquor license, <laughs> but you know, just sell like soda or water or juice or whatever, uh, you know, where people then can kind of go hang, talk to you, but then feel like, yep. Hey, I'm just, I'm going to go down or like, I'm just like in my head, even like taking the old games and having, you know, you see like the people play the old board games, but like you'd say, Hey, we're just like today's board game or here's mm-hmm. a you know, some type of league that you have that you run, but I think it just adds to it. It gets foot traffic in yeah. and naturally it's probably a very low overhead for you to say, Hey, we have the stuff already, mm-hmm. but maybe you do like, you know, take a video game and say, we're doing, you know, everybody pitches in, we're doing like a, a, a two game knockout game of NBA jam or something. Yeah. And that I think gets fun. Cause then it's like, well, I won the NBA jam at the vintage store. Yep. And I think a lot of, like I've always looked at like the, our office as a real estate office at some point in time, my vision obviously is to, expand and grow this but i think it is to become more community centric and make it a place where it's not just real estate not that i think people are going to come hang out a real estate spot i'm not naive and thinking that everybody just wants to come chill with us but i think that you turn it into some a space that could complement real estate but i think it ends up turning into more of a community space where stuff that has nothing to do with real estate can be held or Mm -hmm. or people can come together that's not necessarily just real estate and i think doing that in a way that um you know, I think is more inviting for people. And I think that's what things are going to more. I think the small business, I think the, like the sense of community, I think the little, like we talk about local matters all the time in our company, but I think the idea that, you know, there's a lot of cool things in Plattsburgh that are happening. And there's a lot of cool people that are now planting the roots in Plattsburgh. Like you, I would say you were one that left, came back, left, came back. And, and whether or not that happens in the future or not, but you could say like, no, I kind of want to like make Plattsburgh like my, cause I always look at with the invention, I say invention, I keep saying the, the idea that the internet right now can allow you to do anything anywhere. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be in a certain spot. You could do everything no. right from Plattsburgh. And I think that the idea, if you like, like the area and like the people and you can then somehow increase the commerce of the area, but not necessarily, 
it's not that money's changing hands within the community. That's important. But I think that money comes into the community is, is something we need. Yeah. Because you're never going to get to the next level unless that happens. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I think big part is like, you know, creating that, um, that experience for a customer coming in. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, building something here, you know, where I'm from was something I always wanted to do. Um, not saying I won't, you know, leave the area again, but I think eventually I will end up, you know, settling, you know, close to this area, at least. Uh, my family's all here. Um, I don't think they're planning to, you know, leave anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, kind of goes hand in hand with like, you know, bringing money into, you know, a place that you care about, I think goes a lot further than moving somewhere to, you know, you know, taking money for yourself and then, you know, eventually, you know, going back. Um, when you talk about, um, you know, like I said, you, you try to work with other community members and try to like, uh, do you do any, um, what I would say is kind of uh, collaborations with anybody? Do you try to highlight other businesses? Do you try to get other businesses to do like, hey, come see us, get 20% off them down the road, vice versa. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have like a one-two punch. Yeah. So we've done that a, a couple different times. Um, you know, pretty frequently we're giving out like gift cards for, you know, baskets that you know different companies or organizations are doing um we actually ran a giveaway with uh old soul uh oh, yep, yep, yep. um at, with her shop uh so we had um a, a beatles record and t-shirt that she had found that she was raffling off and then she had a from us a levi's jacket and uh like an old ski sweater um okay. so we sold raffle tickets for each each of us sold tickets for a month and then we went on Instagram live together and we like picked out the winners. Um, and then, you know, I had what she was giving. So they had to come to, you know, the shop and grab it for me. And then whoever won the jacket that I had, you know, put in, they went to her shop to get that. Yeah. So that's good. Like I said, increase the awareness and foot traffic. And um, what about the Olympics? Is that something you said ski, but like the 1980 Olympics, is that stuff that you come across often? Sometimes, um, but not, not really. Um, unfortunately, I wish that we did. Because um, it's pretty, like, I would say that's an iconic look. You yeah. know, when you have, like, kind of the, the you know, obviously the, the torch with the mountain kind of, and then you had, like, the raccoon. and Yeah. Um, so we've had one Lake Placid, like, 1980 Lake Placid t-shirt. It was just, like, a, a yellow t-shirt with the, the raccoon logo on it. Yep. Um, and then I actually traded. Um, a guy wanted a sweatshirt in the store, and he had a, a 1980s um, Adidas Lake Placid Winter Olympics jacket. Wow. Um, you know, so that's something that's like in my personal collection now that, you know, I wouldn't be willing to, you know, let go of. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate that I don't find more stuff from that, but I think, you know, being 41 years ago, it's a I little think bit you, harder. The, that's what I was saying with like people locally, that stuff is everywhere. And it, it, I mean, obviously I say it's everywhere, obviously not like sitting out in the corner and you grab it, but <laughs> I think so many people in their basements, in their closets, you know, people that are, you know, I, I deal with homeowners all the time that, you know, they're selling mm -hmm. and they have stuff in their closet. They have stuff in their basement. They have grandma and grandpa, you know, and they have all these things that, you know, their kids had. And it's like, well, if it's not obviously musty and like all moldy or whatever, it's like, can I take a look at it? Yep. I'm sure there are some absolute treasures throughout the North country when it's, when it comes to that, or like you said, kind of the, you know, the, the all-star game or something from like the Yankees in the seventies. I got like a, you know, what you know whoever it might be you know i just think that that stuff's kind of cool and like you start to look at it and it means 
a few years ago would have meant nothing. Now I look at that, I'm like, oh wow, this is actually this is probably popular now. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Jake and I are always trying to uh, you know get you know what we're doing out into the public, and we also try to you know tell people that we're not expecting you know you to donate this stuff to us. Like we know what you have um, is worth you know money, and we want to pay you know fairly for it. So mm-hmm. because we want people to obviously you know let us know when they find other stuff, and then kind of on the other end is we aren't trying to you know sell things for more than what they're worth we look at like you know what other people have sold that item for and then we typically try to go a little even a little bit lower than that um you know just because it, i think the prices of vintage are a little bit inflated right now do you find that um there could be some markups depending on what what it is and what it means to the area like obviously a plastic state you know i would say an old vintage plastic state outfit because it's plattsburgh to me would be more valuable than professional team of the same. Yep. I could be wrong on that, but I think like, because it's a little bit more prideful to have that versus like a, a Yankees from the eighties or something. Yeah, definitely. Um, and those things are, are more difficult for like us to price too, because you know, if we go on eBay and look up, yeah. you know, like vintage Plattsburgh state crew neck sweatshirt, there's not going to be any on there. Um, you know, so we have to kind of set a price, just, you know, pick something that we think, you know, it's close to what it's worth. I have a 2005 long sleeve. I think my uncle and aunt got it. My cousin was on the team at the time. Plastic State went to the Final Four for the National for mm-hmm. soccer. And I have a sweatshirt from that year, or sweatshirt, a long sleeve t-shirt, mm-hmm. but it has all th- four teams on it, mm-hmm. with Plastic obviously being one of them. And I just remember having that. And uh, like that would, again, 2005, I mean, that wasn't that long ago, but I'm sure that would be something that would sell people like, oh, the Plastic State, like Final Four yep. soccer shirt. Exactly. Because their name's on it. It's not yep. like it's just the name of it, but yeah. I think that'd be cool. Like I had a, I had Steve Moffat in a couple of times. He's the coach of Plastic mm-hmm. State. And I'm sure Steve's probably got just stuff from like when he played. But like, yeah. wait, Mike, what's all you got? I don't know. Here you go. Like this, probably all sweat, but like if you cleaned it off. But I think that you go back to, you know, people that even played and trying to get, you know, just, there's a few ex-players that are still around here that yeah. I'm sure if they dug deep, they would find some stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I don't mind taking this. was like yeah. some, you know, the, the prime link shootout 97. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll take it, you know, or, or like the final four that they hosted. And I think that would be kind of cool. Um, now, in regards to running a small business, what's your favorite thing about doing it? And what's your least favorite thing? Or say least, but maybe hardest thing about running the business. Um, favorite thing about running, you know, a small local business... It's got to be like being able to be in in the community. Um, I think in previous jobs that I've had, I felt a little bit removed from that. Whether I was working, you know, for like a like a, a company that was more corporate, um, you know, or just not being, you know, even downtown. I think, um, yeah. So I think my favorite part is you know actually being able to you know connect with the local community, whether that be through you know the markets on the end of Brinkerhof on Saturdays or you know through the first Friday events. Um, and then in least favorite or, you know, most difficult, I think kind of all of the behind the scenes stuff, um, you know, so, you know, pictures of all of the clothing, um, you know, typing up the listings, um, you know, not that it's not enjoyable to do that. It just, you know, it, it gets monotonous after, you know, a few thousand times. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh. I think that's, again, what people don't see is that someone has to do that. Mm-hmm. And then if you're the first um, first person that started, you do all of it. And that's, I look, like, I look at my business, like, as, you know, I've been able to grow my business, like, I've been able to leverage myself a bit. And 
but anything that I've ever asked someone to do, I've done it for years. And that's yep. the thing. It's like you get to a point where you just do everything, but then eventually you got to pick and choose. Like you said, bring someone on. Now I can spend more time 100% devoted, and I still know the shop's open. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, I think that's what happened. You still have a little bit of income because if you're not there, it's, you don't make money. And if you're there, you make money. And, that's, and I think that's kind of the uh, – you know, the struggle for small business owners, it's how do I do everything in a day um, and still be profitable and not completely go insane? Mm -hmm. And I think there's just so many things that could happen because at any given moment, um, you know, things are running through your head all the time. Because it's like, yeah. what did I forget? What do I need to get? What's my plan? When do I have time to work on it? Um, I, have, I have to deal with this, um, you know, problem that I don't, want, I don't really want to deal with, but I got to deal with it. And it's like all these things that happen every single day um, that I find that a lot of people that run or own their own business like I, my mind never shuts off and i think that you're probably going to start f if you don't already i'm sure that might be the case where you're like i just all i do is think about what i have to do yeah um because i want to make sure that it, you know i'm doing things right and i'm you know creating the best environment for people coming in but also you know for you know jake too um and then the other thing was opening during the pandemic uh was <laughs> a huge you know what if because mm -hmm. um, i opened right after all of the like you know restrictions like you know lightened a little bit so like you know places were allowed to be open but it was you know with limited capacity and everyone had to have masks on um so i was kind of like and we were going into the winter again so i was like well i hope that everything doesn't you know shut down and i have to you know close for two or three months um yes yeah, so, you know making sure that you know that was something that was always in the back of my mind um even now it's something i'm you know concerned about or kind of constantly thinking about uh, but then also like, you know, making sure that, you know, did I, you know, did I go to the bank? Did I, you know, did I get all the pictures taken the right way? Did I, you know, do all of these things? Save but a receipt for taxes. Save all my receipts. Um, but having, you know, the co-owner and partner in the store now kind of takes a little bit of that off of me. And, you know, I can, he, you know, he's responsible for. So you guys have to kind of pick and choose roles. Yeah. Like the, I'm going to kind of focus on this. He might focus on say social media or yep. whatever. And you focus on. Uh, finding product yeah so I mean it's it's split pretty evenly like we're constantly like both looking for new product for the store and both taking pictures and um, but there's just the volume at which we have to do all of those things was difficult for just me to keep up with mm -hmm. um, you know I would be at the store and you know for seven hours I'd be taking photos and putting them on the Instagram story um, and that would be like a whole day, but where, where now I can, you know, I can go in on a, on a Wednesday when I'm typically not there, but I can take photos and then, you know, free up a little bit of time, you know, for Thursday where I can get a couple of other things done. Yeah. And you're not getting interrupted while you're doing it because someone else is there. Exactly. Um, what, roughly what is your like lowest priced item and what's your highest priced item you've sold? The kind of the range of where you um, kind of. I mean, so we, we have a, like a $5 rack. Um, you know, it's filled with all vintage clothes, like vintage t-shirts and stuff. Um, but it could just be like, uh, from an event, um, like a 5k from, you know, 1995 mm -hmm. where, you know, there's not a whole lot of, you know, significance to it, but it, it still is like a vintage t-shirt and some people just like the way that a vintage t-shirt fits. So if they're looking for, you know, something to work out in or just to kind of lounge around in. Um, or for you know, Halloween or for Halloween, yeah. like $5, you know, is, you know, you know, just kind of the lower end of what we have in there. Um, I think the most expensive was probably like seven fifty for a t-shirt, 750 for a t-shirt, for a wow. t-shirt. Yeah. It was a, a 1992 Nirvana t-shirt. Really? Yep. Now, 
did you make a good margin off of that or was that something like that you paid you paid pretty pretty high for it too? uh i mean i we paid quite a bit for it but we still were able to kind of make a we had a good margin on it um, Does it was, that get nerve-wracking when you buy something expensive like that? Yeah. Or did you know that, hey, I bought this, but I know it's going to turn around and sell? I knew that that piece specifically was like, because Nirvana stuff just moves so fast, yeah. that it was that it was pretty safe. Um, but there have been other things, um, like a Smith's band tee. Um, you know, the range of those is all over the place. It could be, you know, $100, but there's also some that sell for, you know... What is it, Smith? The, the, the Smith's. Um, I've never heard of them. Yeah, so it's just like a kind of like a pop, in pop band from seventies, eighties. Okay. Um, like Morrissey was the the lead guy. But that that's something that sells. Yeah. Um. So people collect all of those things. Um. It's probably the second. Like I always think of like bands that jump out with like T-shirts, like Nirvana's one, ACDC's one. Um. I think if you go, I mean, if you go back in the seventy or seventies and the eighties, maybe Aerosmith had some t-shirts. I'm thinking of bands that might have monetized a little bit more. Yeah, you know, Pink Floyd, possibly. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the Grateful Dead, but yeah, I think probably the the easiest band the t-shirts to sell. Um, Grateful Dead. That's by far. By far, it, it might also be because of like this area specifically. Like they had more of an influence here. I think like you know UVM being so close, like. They played a couple shows in Highgate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of t-shirts like just from the parents went to that. Yeah. Yeah. So like I've had a couple of the shirt, the shirts from that show. Uh, what about fish? Um, a couple fish things. Yeah. Um, a little harder to come across. Um, actually when Jake moved over to Plattsburgh, he had a bunch of fish stuff from Burlington. Well, I think like fit, like if you'd ever find like a Clifford Ball one, which is what mm-hmm. it was a Plattsburgh down at the Air Force yep. Base, you find something like that, that would probably go... Um, I'm a big Dispatch fan. They started Middlebury, so I'm okay. not sure if that would be something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I look at bands that are, you know, I would say are more on the jam band side because I find that their fans are always, like, there's fans, but there's, like, I think when you get to a certain point where the fans have just been around for so long mm-hmm. and, and they're, you know, like, a Grateful Dead is not someone you're going to hear much on the radio. You'll, you'll hear, like, Touch of Grey and you hear a few songs. Yeah. But realistically, you're not going to hear Fish much on the radio, but, mm-hmm. like, the fans know every single song. Yeah, I think the the fan bases are just so loyal because they've been around for so long that they're able to kind of build that, you know, up with them. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, band tees in general have always kind of been something that are, you know, collectible. What, uh, like, what kind of old music do you like? Uh, I listen to a lot of Grateful Dead. Um, okay. Actually, today, Spotify Wrapped came out. I don't know if you use Spotify. Uh, I, I do, but I usually listen to. I, I usually only use it to listen to uh, Joe Rogan. Okay, so yep. I, I use Apple Music mostly. Gotcha. Um, so, Grateful Dead, um, and then some like '90s rock, um, and then a lot of like Rush and okay. you know things like that. Because um, I always I like grew up like I love Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Aerosmith was my like first band. My favorite first band actually was the Beach Boys. Okay. Which is funny because I had a, a Beach Boys cassette <laughs> in like 95, 96, 97. And then my mom ended up buying me a, um, the li- a live CD of Aerosmith. And I actually downloaded it on Apple Music because I was like curious. I'm like, mm-hmm. what was that song? First song I believe was Trains Kept Rolling. So okay. you end up, um, I, I got really big into Aerosmith. And I probably have, I would say eight, nine C- CDs. This mm-hmm. back when CDs. Um, and then, but like, I would say those, and then you start like Queen. I love Queen. I love, uh, you know, so, you know, you get the, like the, I have like Rolling Stones. I have a couple Kiss albums or album CDs. And, you know, I find that those are still bands I'll pop on. 
Um, I do like like newer bands. I know people like shit on them, but like Greta Van Fleet, I think is really good, even though they're you know, I you know I've they sound like Led Zeppelin or Queen or Rush. They have a very but you, I mean they're very good, but they mm-hmm. they definitely have that genre. Um, and I think you might see more of them start coming around, kind of with the vintage. You're gonna hopefully maybe see some vintage music come around. Like I could see I could see like rap. And I, again, I'm not really big in the rap scene, but I'm sure rap has a little bit of influence maybe coming back from like the early 90s Compton like you know NWA East Coast West Coast I think that's mm-hmm. probably going to start coming back around where you start to see it more in music definitely and I think you know getting really like that, that like that you know like when they had like all the the I call it like the weird rap from like 2010 to 2020 was just like a very odd rap to me where it mm-hmm. wasn't like Little Wayne and you know I would say Kanye and Eminem and you know when you started even like even uh, uh, what what was it the next episode? But like back in like early two thousand, mm-hmm. like th- those that kind of music to me was still rap, mm-hmm. and then it started to get more in like poppy rap. Where you know I I'm trying to think I don't even know the the bands like, but the, it was it's hard to describe. Like I think some of them like you know like Wiz Khalifa or what's his name uh, the Lamar guy. Mm-hmm. Kendrick. Um, yeah, like some of those guys are rappers, and I find that some of them do have like more of like a poppy edge to them. Mm-hmm. And I think like Drake, kind of that kind of music, where it's still rap, but it had like a poppy yeah, tone I, to it. I think that that was just kind of you know what was on the horizon. I think that's kind of what that early two thousands rap it evolved, kind of into. evolved into. Yeah, um, and I think we're kind of still in that same you know genre of rap. So um, I think like experimental rap or hip-hop is getting a little bit more popular too now um would that be more of like the rap battle kind of stuff more like lyrical uh, than it is i think it's more um rather than you know using like your classic instruments and i think part of like the the pop aspect comes a little bit from like the the tech and the tools that are available now that weren't available you know early 2010s um you know the ability to kind of take something and sample it you know, a lot easier than, you know, getting a sample like a, like a black eyed peas back in the day when they really got into like, they're using more, um, you know, they have like the effects to sound and they always had it. I mean, like even, even the music, when you talk like queen, it like synthesizers Mm -hmm. and stuff and, um, you know, or, or super tramp, they had a lot Mm -hmm. of that music. But I think if you get into now, yeah, you're always going to evolve because tech comes out and you have like the distortion and T pain and you have like like the auto tune dubstep and all that. Yeah. I think like the, yeah, I mean, dubstep was big in like what, like the, 2010s right around that yeah. time kind of, kind of like, like when i got out of pop personal music. computers and you know everyone was you able like to kind skrillex of... and you start having like the you know the cavici and mm-hmm. all those guys that definitely use like technology like anybody that sits up with like a computer and plays music mm-hmm. and has a computer there yep. that's new that's like beyond when i was listening to music yep. so like i'm not going to go to like a rave and listen to like all that like i mean it probably is fun i guess in the right <laughs> state of mind but if you're uh that i always just like Give me like an acoustic guitar, but, mm-hmm. you know, like um, like I really, I'm a big Dave Matthews fan. I'm big like they said Dispatch mm-hmm. OAR. So I just like that kind of music. Yep. But that that comes that stems from that '90s music to the 2000s. So yep. um, now, what's your hope for um, being a business owner, being in Plattsburgh? Like, what's your hope for I guess Plattsburgh, the area, um, young professionals? You know, I think because you're, you're what are you now? Twenty four. Three. Twenty three. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're starting to kind of get into that adulthood where you're really kind of piecing together and kind of like, okay, like I'm not Mike, the college kid anymore. I'm now, you know, Mike, the, uh, the, the young business person. And I think how, 
what's your thought on that going forward and maybe opportunity for Plattsburgh, things that you see that could be a, a you know, a bright spot or, or an advantage that we could take? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, something I'm excited for, you know, for Plattsburgh, it's kind of happening now, but like all of the small, you know, local businesses that are kind of popping up, whether that's, you know, the, the different gem stores that are downtown, um, there's a couple other like small clothing stores that have opened up downtown, um, the restaurants that are there. I think that the, you know, it might've just been that I wasn't, you know, around downtown Plattsburgh for, you know, a lot of my life, even though I was in Shazy. Um, but kind of seeing these things that are popping up and how successful they are, it makes me excited for the future that Plattsburgh has. Um, and kind of the way that the community is able to support these things. Um, I think anytime, you know, someone decides to open something on their own, it's nerve wracking for everybody, you know, that's involved with getting it open. And then, you know, you're kind of hoping for the best, um, you know, you can do as much planning and, you know, that type of thing, but, you know, it, at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, the community kind of coming out and supporting you. Um, and, you know, for me personally, I've been, you know, extremely grateful for that. Um, actually, a few weeks ago, we had a, a robbery at the store and, um, you know, the community kind of really came together and, you know, explained, like told us that they were, you know, sorry that that happened to us. Um, so kind of getting that support was nice. <laughs> well, and again, you're just hit a year, right? Yeah. You said October 2020? Yep. So, I mean, like how far you've come in Still a year where I'd say that you're, you're starting to, you know, gain traction in a short amount of time. And I, I mentioned on my last podcast I had, uh, like High Peaks Brew, like Becky, she started the company a little over a year ago mm-hmm. and the amount of traction she has. And it's kind of cool when you look at the, like, I, again, I have a, a soft spot for young people that are, are starting business. Cause like I said, I think I can relate to that, but they're also, I can, you know, I try to, if I. You know, naturally, you want to try to help people out. So, like, mm-hmm. I have more. I can give you more advice than I can give someone that's fifty mm-hmm. that's been in it for thirty years because we're just at different stage yeah. in life. But I think, you know, seeing young people start something new that we haven't really seen that, that is new to Plattsburgh, mm-hmm. um, or definitely a new style or spin on it, and just seeing you get some traction and succeed and get support, I think that's cool because, like, as with anything, you start a business. There's people that are adamant like awesome might go for it there's people that probably try to talk you out of it yeah and and i think a lot of it is when you're doing if you're in any business i mean your biggest critic is yourself but also your biggest fan has to be yourself mm-hmm. i mean you really gotta you know like i said there's negative talk but you gotta have a lot of positive self-talk and kind of more mm-hmm. of like self-belief that you're gonna get it done because again i'm sure there's been days in the last year like why the hell am i doing this yeah, definitely. There's there's always those days where, you know, you know, the week didn't go the way, you know, the projection wasn't where I wanted it to be. And, you know, when I went and looked and it's like, oh, is it really, you know, worth all this? But then you know, go on the next day and something exciting happens or I find, you know, find a T-shirt and then, you know, that makes it worth it. Well, I, think, um, I think where we live, it's like locking up the door at six o'clock on a, on a you know, February night on a Tuesday or say for you a Thursday and like wow god this sucks you know and but then it's you know I I think if you I'm very big on intent so I think the more effort you put in with the intent of I'm trying to do the right thing I Mm -hmm. think eventually you just get traction and I think it's kind of like whatever it's like an unwritten universal law that it's like if you put the like I just think it's like almost like a karma or like hey Mike's busting his tail to make this happen 
at some point the universe is going to reward you. And I think even on the days, and I think about this all the time where it's like, man, this sucks, bad conversation, bad situation, blah, blah, blah. And then two weeks later, you're like, wow, like I was like down and out two weeks ago and now I'm like on cloud nine. And I think that's just the roller coaster of owning a business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that definitely like comes with owning the business. I think the, you know, the highs are really high and then the lows can be low, but then a I think there's like the freedom, at least for me, that comes with like having my own, like having a store that I'm running um, kind of still outweighs, you know, the negatives of it. Absolutely. Um, It's, it's a, it's a good feeling kind of watching something grow um, with all the effort that you're putting in. Well, I think we were talking about before where you're like, your mind's always racing. That's Mm -hmm. a negative. But if I had to look at the upside me being able to call the shots and do things on my own terms is invaluable. Yeah. Like I, I don't want anybody else telling me what to do. And I think, um, and I don't know, I just, I just think that that's kind of like, bet, like I'm willing to take the risk for the, like high risk, high risk, high reward. That's mm-hmm. kind of like the game that I'm in. I don't really want to be like a steady person. Like I don't, I don't really want to just go work for a job and like know what I'm going to make. I'm mm-hmm. like, I kind of like knowing that I can have a high upside, but I also like, you're always running the risk of failing. Cause that gives you like motivation. Yeah. Um, no, I think it. I think it's cool. I think everything you're you're doing is cool. Um, it's it's been a while since I talked to you, and I think that one of the things that I think you'd be good at navigating everything. You've always been kind of cool, collected. I think that you don't. At least when I remember coaching you as a kid, I'm sure you you still have a lot of those attributes today. You were always like a very steady person. I think you were someone that, you know, I remember I coached you in. Well, you've been JV, JV soccer. Yeah. yeah, you were captain on JV, and I remember that. And I think, did you graduate with Cade Collins? He's a year behind me. You're behind you. Yep. Who, who graduated? What, what grade uh, were you with? Eli and Cam. Okay. Uh, Drew, yep. Spencer. Yep. Okay. So, um, Tyler? Tyler Hicks, Austin, Gravel. That was all the same yep. class? All the okay. same class. So, I just remember, like, you being a, a crew of those boys that, like, you, I always thought were you were ahead of your time from a maturity standpoint. I think that you carried yourself very well. I think that you, um, you know, I think you garnered respect from teammates by your action and mannerism. And I think the respect for other people. And I think that uh, taking a lot of that and not, not everybody has that. And I think if you look at the people this, and I think one of the things that if you look at players that played sports, but the kids that worked hard and the kids that could like grind out and, you know, maybe they, were you the most athletic kid on the field? I don't think so, Mm-mm. but I think mentally you understood the game, but I think you would say composed. And I was the same way. I wasn't the most physically gifted athlete. I worked my tail off to play, but I think I was able to understand the game and I knew what my strengths were. It wasn't, I wasn't the fastest kid. I wasn't the strongest kid. I wasn't the tallest kid, but I knew like, okay, I could understand the game. I knew positioning. I knew kind of game situation. Um, but I also tried to stay level headed. And I think for you, Knowing when you, you know, obviously at like a varsity level too, the same thing, because you played sweeper, right? Mm -hmm. So you're playing like a position like that where you have to be kind of calm, cool, and collected. I think that translates to going into a business like this where I think emotionally you can handle the ups and downs. I think emotionally when the going gets tough, you're the one that could like, hey, I'm just going to grind it out and make it happen. And I think those are the kind of people you need as entrepreneurs that, you know, aren't just going to crash and burn, but can say, okay, listen, I'm going to take a hard, you know, the, the, the approach of, there's no like quick way to success. It's like, I'm going to put the time in and I know I'm going to be able to build this great foundation. And I think for you, I really think the sky's the limit in something like this. Cause one, I think it's, it's, it's cool, but I think you're just starting to see the evolution of it. Yeah. And it's a, I have to kind of remind myself that it is still 
new. Um, mm-hmm. And kind of back to like what you were saying, you know, before is, yeah, I've, I, you know, kind of being self-aware is something that I've tried to kind of, you know, constantly do. Um, I've never been like, you know, super loud or, you know, outgoing, but I think kind of, you know, being able to maintain like a, you know, kind of staying calm, especially when things kind of don't go, you know, the way I want. Um, you know, we've had, I've had a couple setbacks with the store, um, you know, most recently, um, with the, with like the robbery, um, and then, you know, figuring out, you know, how I was going to, you know, move, you know, a whole store, but also not be closed for, you know, a week or two, um, you know, it's just things that, you know, things come up and they have to get done. And, you know, at the end of the day, like they're going to get done one way or another. Yeah. Um, and so. I think as you evolve too, you, you, your problems always evolve, mm-hmm. but I think they're good problems. It's always yeah. like same in my, my business, the problems I have now are more complex and on, but they're on a bigger scale. Yeah. So then I'm like, I, I had all the little problems, but now I've kind of earned the right to have the bigger problems, yeah. which they suck. Every problem sucks, but it's like at the end of the day, it's like I know I'm trending in the right direction. If this is now a problem I have to deal with, where ten years ago I'm like, there's no way I'm ever going to have that problem because I'm yeah. just not going to get to that level. And I think you at 23, learning what you're learning now. I mean, you know more about business than any kid coming out with an MBA degree because you've done. You know what I mean? I think that's really the thing that I always find is that the best way to learn is like just actually you can read, you can research, you can but like, but you got to do you got to do stuff. And yeah, like you got to stub your toes, make mistakes, you know, learn from it, grow. Um, you know, and like I said, did you ever expect you were going to be robbed? Probably not, but now you know nope. kind of how to deal with it. And exactly. Like, and you, it was almost like, hey, Mike, it's pop quiz. This is what's going to happen today. You got robbed, so figure it out. Yep. I'm like, oh, okay. Let me see. Based on my resources, <laughs> my my abilities, let me try to figure this one out. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. The, even the problems that I'm having now are completely different than the problems I was having, you know, a year ago. Um, you know, when I first opened my problem, my biggest problem was making sure I had enough stuff for the store. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now it's, you know, getting, you know, everything put online and, you know, making the, you know, SEO, you know, work. Um, and, you know, it's not necessarily, they're bigger problems, but, you know, I'd rather have those problems i guess yeah they're elevating and yep. uh, you have a system now to figure out how to get close yeah like and that's kind of like that that's that that was something that you kind of call like a or you would call like a, a uh just that's like a reoccurring thing but like you have that unlock you mm-hmm. just know how it's done and then like i said now you're kind of dealing with people i'm sure at some point you'll probably have employees and then that kind of brings its own problems but it's also a learning experience you get better at it yeah. so um well mike i appreciate coming on we're gonna wrap it up here um if anybody wants to find you, go buy your stuff, look you up, where, where can they reach you? So we're uh, we're at 20 Brinkerhoff Street on uh, in Plattsburgh, um, and that's actually right down by the Strand, um, so the, the two-way end of Brinkerhoff Street. Um, and then if you want to get in contact with us, uh, social media is definitely the, the easiest way to do that. Uh, on Facebook, we're Jam Vintage LLC, um, and then on Instagram, we're Jam Vintage USA. And e-commerce site? Uh, e-commerce is jamvintageusa.com. Okay, so that is up and running. Yep, that's up and running. Um, and then actually in the next week or so, uh, we're going to have the site. Right now it's it's password protected because we're putting we're loading stuff on. Uh, I'm going to run a little uh, like Christmas you know holiday sale. Nice. So. All right. Well, perfect. Mike, I appreciate you coming on. I yeah, wish you, you the best. And uh, like I me. said, I think it's really cool what you're doing. And any, anybody that's planting roots in Plattsburgh and doing some stuff here, I think is, is a, a value part of the community. So, uh, keep it up. And, uh, like I said, if you, anybody needs the vintage, vintage swag, go see Mike. Uh, that is episode 174 of the Galen Trombley show. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley show. 
you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.